Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. I hope you all had a great bank holiday. Bex, Bree the Beagle and I sailed into London, which was dope. We picked up my son en route, which was joyous, and it was mostly sun until Sunday's amazing downpour. A dope trip though, great adventure, and I was glad to see Carnival popped off and all those writers came out in droves and painted all that could be painted. A load of great photos on Insta. So, each week, as I'm sure you know, I chat to people about their lives and interactions with London culture and creativity, and this week's chat is with Charlie Dark of London's legendary movement, The Run Dem Crew. Charlie has literally run through London's hip-hop scene, all the way from Family Friends Christmas in New York in 81, through Soho in the early 90s, TV shows, record labels, released music, and then on a culmination of all his cultural skills to help him through the hard times and help him start The Run Dem Crew, to take on London and the world's running teams. I had a great convo with Charlie, his interactions with cultural icons, stories from the UK and world hip-hop archives and a mindset fueled by that passion, real dope. Charlie, thank you. This is F24. Enjoy. Charlie, man, thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me, man. This is this is dope, man. I love, <laughs> I love the cross paths that we've got and the fun and, you know, Soph and, I mean, all the million numbers. So yeah, I lived with Sophie in a flat in Brixton in, in the 90s and kind of hung out with those guys. But we'll get into that in a minute. We'll get into all of that, man. Let's, um, <laughs> let's start at the beginning. So where are you from? I'm originally from South London, mm-hmm. um, East Dulwich, Peckham, okay. yeah. which often when you tell people, they're like, oh, you grew up in Dulwich. But East Dulwich was a whole. Completely different. Back in the day, you know, 70s, yeah, 80s, it was a whole. Mm. So right by Peckham Rye Park, on the borders of Peckham. Right, okay. So I kind of claim both areas. Yeah. But, you know, as I always say to people in those days, you were just from South London. Mm. You yeah, weren't it's from... true. Yeah. It's true. It wasn't really split up as much, was it? You were either from north, south, east or west. Yeah, yeah. And I was from south yeah. and I was proudly repping South London. Wicked, man. <laughs> were you running around those streets and all of that then? School? Not really. You know, my, it's funny. My mum is... My parents are from West Africa okay. in Ghana. Yeah. And they come from this long line of kind of educators. Mm-hmm. So education was a priority. That's so there was no, not very much running around no. that they knew about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so the majority of the time they were on you to get this. Yeah, they were, on me, they were on me and there were two schools in our area, mm-hmm. William Penn, mm-hmm. where all the bad boys went and I really badly wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. And my mum was like, actually, you're going to go to Alain's. Okay. You're going to apply for 11 plus. You're going to get into this private school. Yeah. I've made all these sacrifices. Once you finish the school, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. But your the next seven years of your life are it. mine, yeah. and um, so I found myself at you know Alain's private school in Dulwich, like very much fish out of water. It's crazy that, isn't it, man? Like, and especially with you going to primary school and all the friends you made. Yeah, and I understand what you're going through in that stage, man. Yeah, same kind of thing happened to me. I just didn't get into any school. So yeah, I had to do this thing, but it was um, it's so weird when you're like there's so much more of a reason to go to this school where my friends are and where yep. certain people are yep. for my life yep. than it is. But we don't think that at that age. And no, definitely not. But you, your mum held strong. My mum held strong and, you know, I was a clever kid mm-hmm. in school. Good. And I think she just kind of was seeing the change that was coming in London. Mm. You know, it's kind of right, 79, 80. Right. You know, it's, there's a there was this kind of weird feeling in London at the time that basically you really had to make it or you were going to fall between the cracks mm. and there were people that we were kind of growing up with who were like falling between the cracks yeah, at you a know a young age as well yeah so um you know she was like right you're gonna to go to the school and I got in and it was actually a really amazing place to be mm. and it kind of 
provided the foundation for a lot of stuff Brilliant. that I've gone on to do. I was in school with Jude Law, so Jude Law was in the year below me. Right, and I met um, Remy Ruff. Oh, right, did he go there? Yeah, he went there um, when I was 14 in detention, actually. <laughs> he was actually piecing in the Peace Book. I was like, man, like, oh, yes. there's a real live graph guy in the actual school. And um, we kind of connected. There was a lot of kind of graph people who came out of the school. It was yeah. really weird, actually. And um, just being in that part of South London, we were also near East Dulwich Roundabout, uh-huh. where the London Giants piece went up, Let It Rock for Many Girls. And that was like, the day that went up, I was on the way to school. Oh my God. So I just remember going to school on, like, on, on a Monday, and it, it, there it was. It was like, like someone had almost parachuted yeah. like New York into your neighbourhood massive old piece that thing was on the wall for at least 30 odd years Damn. I almost crashed my car like you know a few years ago like I was driving past a roundabout it's still there it was actually someone had painted over it oh, right. yeah there's a big yeah, massive right. kind of mural on there now okay. so they went over it you know and it's a nice piece of work that they've gone yeah, over yeah, it yeah. with you know a piece, nice lovely piece of street okay, art but piece, for me I was kind of like I really think pieces from that era need to be preserved and having that roundabout so close to school, do you think that must have been part of the reason why there was other writers in the school as well? It's just there was obviously a scene in the area. Yeah, there was. Explosion. Yeah, people were painting. There was like, um, I think there was this kid called Juski. Uh-huh. He did a piece up kind of off Lordship Lane. Artful Dodger was around. Yeah. And you would see his tags yeah. kind of with the Roman Atelex. And you'd. It was really. What's really weird about that time is kind of because there was so no internet, you'd travel to go and look at someone's yeah. tag on the wall. Yeah. So the Saturday would come and you'd go out looking. Yeah, yeah. you'd go around. Yeah. And then obviously there was a big bus tagging scene mm. in South London. Yeah, because there's no underground. So. Yeah, so, um, you know, the 36 bus, there was the 36 bus boys and then there was all those kind of like early South London gangs, you know. So it was school that kind of showed you, it was school, like when you're in secondary school, was that age, around that age is when you saw graffiti and like... Yeah, well, my mum had studied in New York. Right. And she had, and we had family there. Yeah. So we were going back and forth during the seventies. And so by the time I'd got to school, mm. I'd kind of already had an experience of kind of early hip hop and wow. graph, and actually riding trains and seeing graph oh, on the train. Wow. Doing. So and we had a we had a, a family friends who lived in the Bronx, and we spent I think it was the Christmas of eighty one yeah. with them. And one of the eldest son was a DJ, so he had records. So he had like Sugar Hill Gang records oh, and like real stuff and we had government cheese and it was, it was weird. It was like we went through, you know, we spent a Christmas holidays with his family being immersed in hip hop. Wowza, man. Like, you know, there's a difference between seeing someone wear a goose in London, yeah. like a triple fat goose in London and seeing someone wear a triple fat goose in the Bronx yeah. when it's snowing. Yeah. It's a really weird kind yeah. of thing. But that whole thing. Yeah. But I wasn't, you know, I kind of came back to school and a couple of big things happened. I had a 13th birthday party. Uh-huh. And, you know, my mum was like, you know, you need to integrate yourself with these people. Yeah. Because. But the, is your school. Uh, yeah, school friends. Because, like, you know, when I went to, you know, when I went to Alain's, there was probably like between like four to ten black kids in the school. In the whole school. And the whole time I was there. Yeah. And there was like over a thousand kids in the school. Shit. So it was just like. You walked in on the first day, people were just looking at you like, who are you? And you're looking around like, the fuck? Yeah, you're like looking around being like, this is money like I haven't never seen before. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. money and privilege that I've never yeah. seen before. The door I've never walked through. So, you know, I kind of come back and I had a 13th birthday party, which, you know, at that time, it was kind of like, there was this real thing where like, 
posh raves, okay. gatecrasher balls, right. where all the kind of public school kids would go to like these jams. Uh-huh. And so my house kind of got overrun by people who weren't actually invited. <laughs> Just like this public school network. There's a party in South London. You got to go. So, you know, my house, my, my house got rammed and the party got slightly out of hand. Yeah. And my cousin, who is from West London, Fenella, my cousin Fenella, who lived in Shepherd's Bush, and she was like 16, 17. She was kind of been, she was like chaperoning the party. Yeah. And she was like, right, you know, she got to a point where people were outside on people's cars, jumping on the cars, smoking at the place, just generally just being bad minded. My mum was there as yeah. well. And it, it was kind of one of these things where I just kept on trying to tell her, like, these kids are not as well behaved as you think they are. Yeah. Like they're wild, yeah, like wild. they're doing some wild stuff. Yeah. And if we have this party, it's gonna get wild. Yeah. And it got wild. And my cousin comes in, she's like, Right, party over, done, everyone home. Yeah. She sits me down at the end, she's like, Look, you're gonna have to get a grip on this. It's like there's this she and I always remember this, she wrote down on a piece of paper the um frequency of a pipe radio station mm-hmm. called JFM. She's like, You're gonna go and listen to this station. And this new world is going to be revealed to you through music. And that was my homework. Because up until that point, it was kind of, you know, you know, I'd been to New York. I'd kind of like, I was aware of hip hop, but I wasn't like deeply in it. And it was, that, it was also, that's New York. Yeah, and that's I'm New York. London. Yeah, and we're in London. Yeah, I and see that in New York. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm in London. I'm in London. Yeah. Basically, everyone's listening to reggae, you know. Yeah. The people I know in my area are listening to reggae. You know, the kids at school are listening to Simple Minds, U2. Yeah. You know, they're listening to rock you know, and your mum's listening to like Fela Kuti, like Ebenezer Obe, and you're just growing up in this Bermuda Triangle of influences trying to find yourself. And my cousin gives me the frequency for the pipe radio station, JFM, I turn it on the next day, they're playing expansions, like the first tune I hear, expand your mind, blah, 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 like jazz funk tune, and I'm like, right, I'm in it, this is a new world, I'm going to immerse myself did, in. Did she do that so you would find a culture, yeah? Yeah. And that would basically help hone your skills in terms of having these friends because yeah. that was completely wild because it was a massive free-for-all whereas yeah. if you had she was saying if you have this thing yeah. you can build from that yeah her whole thing was like you need to be part of something you need to find your voice yeah. it's like you know there's other people like you out there and by getting into this mu- music and this scene that's bubbling up in London you know even if because we know she was like you, we know you can't go because yeah. African kids weren't out in the club like they are now. Yeah. There were the odd kids that went, but most kids like African kids, you were just at home with your books. Yeah. And, you know, so I just got, started immersing myself in pipe radio culture. Wow. So, I'm, you know, it's 83. So I'm too young to go to the jams, but I can sit at home and listen. Yeah. You know, and that was really like a really amazing I part. really concentrate as well for yeah. the love of it. Like, those years are important, man. I remember listening to pipe radio, yeah, or like any radio station, knowing you were too young to do anything. Yeah, I remember being like eight, right, and calling BBC Radio to get the number for Touchdown. Yeah, FM. yeah, I, was, yeah. I didn't even know what pirate was. Mm. Anyway, just yeah, you you really can fall in love and really tune in. Yeah, and so what was interesting about Alain's as well, because obviously you're there with kids who got money, so like they're you know suddenly it's like a kid turns up with shell toes, and you're like whoa, like you've actually got, like, the those, shoes. Those things. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple of kids turn up with Subway art. Whoa. You know, and then it's like, a couple of kids have gone to America and then they come back with, like, you know, ski goggles. Yeah. And it's kind of this really weird thing because, 
you know, and we're in South London and it's kind of the graph scene's bubbling up and the breakdancing school. There was a lot of breakdancers in the school as well. Right. Basically, kids rebelling against their parents yeah. were just like, this culture's arrived and we are immersing ourselves in it. This is the one. And then um, there was a kid called Matthew Smith who basically, his dad owned like a construction firm. So he had like, he was one of the first kids in the school to have a boombox. Right. So he made me a tape. And he like, you know, it was like, loads of like electro and early hip hop classics. And then that was kind of like this thing. Then various different kids are now contributing to this culture. And it was almost kind of like, if you're into hip hop, yeah. there was like a corner of the school that you could you be in be, now. Yeah. You know, whether you dance, whether you, you know, you think. you're equal and you're part of something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and so then what happened is kind of like, I kind of became cool by default. Yeah. Because people are just like, so there's this subculture kind that's come over from America and it's like, you know, predominantly like, you know, black kids are into it and, you know, you're black and you live in South London and you're like the first black guy we've ever met before, yeah. really, or had yeah. come into contact with. And, you know, when we come around your house, your mum's got, my mum had a massive record collection. Right. Because, you know, she studied in New York. So, you know, she'd made all these collections in New York and then brought back this massive record collection to London that was just sitting in our house that she would blast on her stereo. So we always had music, always, you know, so. We played weren't used to, it was different. Yeah, it was different. You know, they're at home listening to classical music on like amazing yeah. kind of Kef super like, yeah. you know, handmade analog valve sound systems. And then they come to my house, yeah. And it's like, you know, Jamo speakers and yeah. like JBLs and like, <laughs> you know, it was deep. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love those times when you would just be in someone's bedroom, just immersing yourself in a culture. Yeah. And then the kid got Dex. Right. This kid called William Frost got Dex for his, like, 14th or 15th birthday. And that was like, we're, in, like, we're like, yeah. we have no barriers now because we now have turntables. Yeah. They're here. They're here. Yeah. I can remember, basically, like, the very first day, like, you know, we plugged them all in, turned them on. And we just walked around the table, banging the table, <laughs> trying to make the needle jump. Because we'd heard that basically they never jumped. Yeah, and it was like, you know, that was really interesting. So <laughs> mad things like that. And then... Memories though, man. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of... That's like a... It's, it, it's a test, you know what I mean? And yeah. It's a nice thing to remember. Yeah, it's like things like that. And then like the first time Kieran Morris learned how to scratch. I distinctly remember it was like a BDP record and Jive. It was like my philosophy or something, like some like early BDP record, yeah. and then suddenly he was like scratching and it was in time, and we were just like it was like a one of those phonic MRT mixers. And he got on the wave. He it got on the wave, and I just remember everything just stopped, yeah. and we were like, "Oh my god, you're really you're scratching, you're doing it." Because up in that point, you're just there with your zip, kind of like yeah. moving your zip up and down, zip, zip, trying to do it. But yeah, like you know, all these kids are in the music, you know. They've got cash, they're buying records, we're swapping records, we made a little sound system at school. And then, like, 16 was the big thing because everyone starts having 16th birthday parties. And then they're like, you know, you've got like girls who are like, right, who can DJ at my party? Because that was the whole thing about that whole scene was like hiring like amazing venues to have parties in. Was this 86 then? Yeah, like around 86. So also, the city was on fire. Yeah, yeah, it's like... it's spread. It's there. So it's everywhere. Yeah, it's there, like, you know... It's aired on TV, graphs on the streets, there's B-boxes, B-boxes and breakers. Yeah, Wild Style, I think, got shown 
No, Star Wars got shown on TV. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was a really big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because in those days, like, as soon as any hip-hop was on the radio yeah. or on the TV, your phone would start ringing. Because, yeah. you, like, you'd be like, they're showing the culture on the TV, yeah. turn it on now. And then you'd beg your mum to yeah. basically, yeah. like, you... Kind of- yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so, like, it was, you know, great times. And then, obviously, you're in... You know, what's the interesting thing is warehouse parties have descended. Warehouse parties have descended on London and you've got older girls in your school who are going and they're coming back and telling you what's going on, you know, and they're going to the WAG and they're going to the Mud Club and they're going to like these clubs that, you know, you can't, you know, you're not really allowed to go. And so... I just made the decision one day. I was like, you know what? It's kind of like, I don't want to be a passive bystander. I want to be in it. And I was already going to Comet Garden. You know, I was going out to Comet Garden. I was going out to Comet Garden and kind of hanging out and looking at the Trailblazers pieces and kind of being super inspired by like all the Chrome Angel stuff and watching, you know, I remember seeing Mode from afar one time being like, man, it's Mode. It must yeah. have been nice to, for it to, um, I mean, it's hard to. <clears throat> Think about what it was like in '81 in the Bronx when you were 16 yeah. in Covent Garden, and how relative that was yeah. and important it is. But yeah. in the back of your mind, as a 16-year-old, it must have been nuts. Like yeah. the stuff that you couldn't cognitively actually process. Yeah, all those connections, and then standing in Covent Garden, being part of the culture, seeing this on the walls, spotting mode. Yeah, I just, I just synapses. Yeah, I, def- I guess it's kind of like for kids now. It's like. They go to some industry brand party and there's like a YouTube influencer that they yeah. kind of know. Yeah, it's true. You know, but the difference is you know what they look like before yeah. you get there. Yeah, it's And true. you know everything they're doing. Yeah. Whereas in those days, it's like, you didn't know what people did. You just knew they were a face yeah. and someone to be respected. And you've you seen them three or four times in places. And yeah. Think, All right, so they're definitely someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Guessing yeah. Guessing. You'd be guessing who and trying to put names, yeah. you know, faces to tags. You know, faces, you know. And it was like, you know, it was a really lovely time. And another thing that happened is like during the 80s, I got sent back to Ghana three times. Wow. Yeah, and that was like a real big, like, you know, my mum would be on the phone would be just like, you know, Charlie, he's playing hip-hop in his bedroom again. Like, I don't know what to do with this boy. And so like for her, it was like, this kid is in this school, which is like, you know, I sent him to to be an achiever. And he's getting into all this other stuff that I didn't expect him. Yeah, yeah. they didn't expect him to get into. And else around that time, African kids start getting into trouble because of being integrated into society more, like more out of the home. I think what it was is like you know the discipline started to relax in the eighties because you know traditionally African parents were really like they chase you with the belt. Yeah, you know they're they're not trying to hear about no child line coming to save you. Like Mm -hmm. they're coming to get you, but. What had happened is like people, it start, the discipline started to relax. And so now, it, like you go to a family, you know, gathering and they'd be like, oh, you know, Chrissy has got into trouble with the police. You know, you'd be like, what? Like, never like what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. Because the thing is, Dref's my cousin. Dref's your cousin? <laughs> yeah, man. Amazing. Dref is like some cousin, cousin long term. So I'd go to family things and like, my mum would be like, going off about like the music coming in my room and blah 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 and I'm like looking at Dref like yeah but 
he's spray he's like spraying he's out there like you lot don't know that he's doing yeah he's painting trains yeah exactly and i just be there like you know because obviously you're not going to dob in your cousin so you just be like yeah man that's like you know yeah you know and got sent back to ghana three times and then you know my, you know my parents split when i was you know really young so my dad's in ghana I get sent back he sends me back to london my mum sends me back he sends me back my mum sends me back again and the third time he's like you know what i'm sending him back and he's not coming back because the main thing is when you arrive in Ghana, you know, I really didn't want to go. Yeah. I was scared to go. Yeah. Like, you know. I mean, you, didn't, you, weren't, you weren't there before. I wasn't, I mean, I was, I could, I was eating the food. I was immersed in the culture, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'd never been. And it sounded like this really scary place. Yeah. So I remember I got sent kind of, yeah, around summer of 83, 84. I took my boombox, took my tapes, landed. And kids were just like, yo, hip hop is here. Like this kid's come from London. He's got trainers, fat laces. He's got the tapes. He's got this crucial electro, electro one, two and three. He's got a boom box. Oh my God, he's the man. He can dance a little bit as well. And he knows about this culture that we're hearing about because, you know, unbeknown to us, hip hop was everywhere. It just kind of, we just thought it was just. We thought it came here. Yeah, that's it. It spread everywhere. People have been traveling the world from New York. Exactly. And I, you know, that was a real eye opener because I remember going there and I went to this party in Labardi Beach, beach party, where it was two, the DJ system was like, there was a couple of parties, one where they were just mixing on cassette decks, but one of the baddest mixes I ever heard in my life, like, this is crazy. And another one where they had actual decks and it was like, like we didn't even even see decks in London. It was like, I mean, Ghana, like these guys have got Technics 1200s here and they know how to mix, like, Mind blown. Came back to London, yeah. like, my mind was blown. Like, I was like... By the time I came back the third time, I was like, right, I'm not going back again. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to immerse myself in this culture so deeply and I'm going to prove to everyone that I made the right decision. I'm going to I'm gonna become a success. That's crazy how it became a proper battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a battle. Like, um... Yeah, that's not... I mean, obviously, there was a bit of rebellion in my house. Yeah. With my mum. She's Irish. She was a bit yeah. confused. Like, what the fuck? She's quite old as well. Yeah. What the fuck? Is it? Why is all this paint in my house? And mm. what's this music you're listening to? But completely different to the yeah. African bring, upbringing. Yeah. That's why I've got so much respect. You know, it's funny because there were all these years, there were all these MCs, graf dudes, people who are in hip-hop culture. I, I didn't even know that they were from Africa. Yeah. I had no idea. Absolutely no idea. Or the African heritage. Yeah, like yeah. I think DJ business is like yeah. either Ghanaian or Nigerian. I was just like, what? Like, I only found it recently. I was like, no way. So do you think it would have been the same type of battles? Yeah, definitely. Family battles. Yeah. I, I think that like, you know. Yeah, I think you know. I think that I think everyone had the battles. I think yeah. just you know, it's easy to get into a culture now. Yeah. You don't really have to rebel because, you know. Your parents can see the culture on the TV. Yeah, it's everywhere. They can reference it. It's like they know who Kanye Any West is. as well. They know who all these people are. Yeah. Whereas then it was like, you're coming home and talking about people who sound different, walk different, talk yeah. differently, have got different you morals, principles. Before. The words spat like that hadn't been heard before. The beat yeah. hadn't been that way. Yeah, so... The clothes. The clothes, like, I mean, you know... Was, was just like, what are you wearing? Yeah, man, my mum was just like, what are, you, what are those laces? Like... <laughs> Why the laces so wide? <laughs> you know, Jeez. and then of course I was like, you know, got into trainers, yeah. you know, around that 
86 as well and then so basically now you're harassing your African aunties to get you trainers because they're going back and forth to New York yeah. and you're sending them to like obscure places where you'd heard like there's a pair of shell toes in this warehouse in the Bronx and this is the address auntie you have to go and get it oh like okay Charlie I've got to get it for you and then they'd come back with completely different pair of shoes <laughs> you'd be looking at them like these aren't the shoes I went to the place yeah yeah these aren't the ones you know, and um, beautiful times. But it was... So how, how did school go? Like School went how was it, really... Like, that's 13 to 16 GCSEs. Like, did you get through okay? I got through GCSEs okay. A-levels didn't come out as well as I'd hoped. Uh-huh. And that was a big thing. My mum wanted me to go to Oxford. Right. And I was just... By that time, I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I don't want to be in this institution. Academia wasn't the one. I started listening to Public Enemy. Yeah. And I went to Public Enemy at Brixton Academy and I I just think I came home different. Changed your life. I just remember being, a couple of things that happened. I went with these girls from school. I told my mum was going to the theatre. I was like, you know, because otherwise... You're not going to see Public Enemy. She weren't having it. You know what I mean? There was a lot of kind of deception in my younger years. As they are in most of the United States, yeah. Yeah. I go to Public Enemy and then, you know, also because... It was dangerous to go to rap jams back in the day. Mm. You couldn't just walk up with. I went with five pound in the in my sock, mm-hmm. not even in the sock. It was in the inner sole, underneath the inner sole. Yep. Five pounds and travel card. That's all I went with. No ID, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Went with these girls from school, and um, public enemy. I remember like as we got there, the EL posse turned up, East London posse, and I and it, I never really kind of been around people from East London up until that point. Mm. And I remember like they kind of walked through with all like little kids first came through. And everyone was like, why are these little kids pushing us out of the way? And then the EL, EL posse came through and they were like throwing up like a little EL sign. Because they were Derek B's posse. Yeah. Derek B was from East London. Yeah. And Derek B was on the bill. So we get there, you know, and they're doing the classic kind of, you know, North London makes some noise, West London makes some noise, South London, you know, everyone's South London, ah, we're in Brixton Academy, it's our house, ah, yeah. hands in the air. And then they're like, East London makes some noise and it's just like EL posse are there, just deep, like, and you're like, yo, this is like, <laughs> so real, this is about to go down now. Because you're like, and you've got to take in this. you're in South, yeah. but you're surrounded by peaceful people from East London. Yeah. And I always say to people like, you know, obviously in London, unfortunately, we have this like big knife crime problem, you know. Which I always, you know, I'll get into that later, but I think it's, you know, a lot of it is like people don't know how to fight. Yeah. They, you know, they think they learn how to fight from films. But there's also this thing of like, you know, back in the day, if someone pulled a knife on you, generally what they were going to try and do is mark your face so that other people would know that they did it. Yeah. So there was a lot of that kind of like, this is about to go down right now. And I remember Griff came out. And public enemy and just the science they were dropping on wow. stage. I was just like, hold on a minute, like you know, it's Thatcher's. You know, is it was Thatcher in, in power then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thatcher's in power. You know, I'm I'm going into the sixth form. I'm in the sixth form. I've got like you know about a year to go, and I'm suddenly realised like, hold on a minute, like this world is really unfair. Like literally, blinkers just open on my eyes, and I was just like, I'm in this environment at school that's really privileged. You know. People have got cash, and there's people in there who've got cash, and they're just messing about. Yeah, thank you know, you. they're privileged. You know, they've never had to want for anything, and they're messing about. And my mum's like busting her ass to kind of keep me in this school. You know, and I got an assisted place as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but it was kind of, of like 
you know, maintain because mm. they will get you out. Yeah, of course. You know, so the Oxford thing didn't really happen for me because the school were just like, if he goes and does the exam and he fails, that's going to look a bit bad on us. So we're not really encouraging him to go. Oh, shit. And, uh, you know, and, and that caused a lot of friction between myself, my mum, mm. school. Mm. So it didn't really go too well, but, I, you know, I ended up going to Brunel. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in clearing. Like I was in, you know, I remember, you know, clearing, if you mess up your A-levels, you have to get on the phone in clearing and yeah. you go to the English and drama degree there. And I really wanted to be an actor, but I was at school with Jude Law. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, this guy by that time, by the time he hit sixth form, he's already in like a soap opera. And he's like, you're looking at him like, he's really good. Right. And also I'm looking around thinking like the roles available to kind of black men at that time, generally it's the bill, being yeah. a burglar. That, the, yeah. There weren't roles, no. you know. So I was like, right, the acting thing's not really going to work. I applied to um, London College of Printing to be a journalist. Is that East London? That was in South. South. It was at Elephant Castle. Oh, at yeah, time. yeah. And got turned down. Mm. And then I had like, you know, I had a real like thing in my, you know, sitting there being like, right, public enemy have just messed up my life. I've given up Bacon just because of Chuck D said that Bacon was evil. Like, you know, there were all these kids in London at that time who just were really assessing, reassessing who they were. Isn't it nuts, man? Remember it, all them kids who turned Muslim? Like, yeah, yeah. Do you mean just got deep into Islam? You know, like suddenly, and then also what happened is Acid House arrived. Yeah, and house music. So then it was real. Like, you've got a third prong coming in because you've got real life, which yeah. you're trying to contend with as a young yeah. adult, teenager, young adult. You've got this culture that seems to have awoken you and given you this thing that school wasn't giving you friendships, yeah, you yep. know, understanding. So true. All this this, this network happens, but you're at a point you're like I've got to deal with real life and I can't do what I wanted to do like, yeah. or I'm not getting these placements yeah. is it the culture that's fucking me up that, it's so yeah. weird at that point because I think that's the point when people decide right that's my yeah. hobby I've got to put it down yeah yeah. I think what I what happened to me is I like I suddenly realised that this privileged education that I'd had and this bubble that I was living in wasn't real Yeah. and more importantly wasn't a door that was going to be constantly open to me for the rest of my life. Because there is this old boy network. Yeah. You know, so it's funny when people try and get into the creative industry and they face these roadblocks and barriers and they can't understand, like, why is it that I'm not getting the bring in? Mm. You know, why is it so hard? Because a lot of these people have been to school with each other and yeah. they sort each other out yeah. as they get older. Yeah. And I realised suddenly, like, you know, doors suddenly started closing. I literally thought I was going to leave school and someone at school's dad was going to give me a job in there firm yeah or one of the, one of your mates dreams would have come true and they'd be bringing you yeah. in and of course yeah yeah without and it, even having a conversation yeah yeah like, yeah. Here. yeah yeah and it just didn't happen and suddenly i was just like right I, like i really need to like decide what i'm gonna do because you know that big uni degree from the prestigious uni uni is not gonna happen mm. and everyone's a bit disappointed in me right now and further away from it yeah with the knockbacks from the with the knockbacks yeah so um so yeah, so that was kind of like you know a couple of things that happened. My um, my mum was like, right, you know, once you go to uni, I will leave you alone. You can do whatever you want. But she just wants you in there. She's just like, you just got to go. Like I've sacrificed so much to be in this country. You know, it's kind of, I've really had to give up. You know, my own dreams for you. Do this for me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to uni. They're going to give me a student grant. 
and I can spend that on records. Sorry. Yeah, okay. so I any so one of my, the things was like I really wanted. There were a couple of kids at school who who, who decided to become stockbrokers mm. because the stock market was becoming a thing. Late eighties, it's yeah. kind of you know Harry Enfield's on TV. Yeah, loads of money. People are starting to make that big boy kind of new money. The yuppie image is coming through. The yuppie image is coming through. <laughs> And I'm like thinking to myself, you know what, maybe I could be a stockbroker. But my maths wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And then there was like this rise of people who were being cycle messengers. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, maybe I could be a cycle messenger. And my mum was just like, look, you definitely can't be a cycle messenger. You know, that's not, we're not having that. No, you know, that's not what my son's doing. <laughs> you're definitely not doing that. So, you know, try and find another job. Yeah. So I basically. <laughs> Couple of things, man. It's such a crazy story about this story. I basically was like looking through ID magazine one day. Yeah. And I'm looking in ID, and there was an article about this hairdresser called D Mob in Soho. And I'm like, right, I really want to be media. I've just been rejected by London College of Printing. You know, I can't be a journalist. I want to be a journalist, and I, I just want to write and express myself, and I can't do that. So I'm going to go and ask for a job in this hairdressers because that's in the heart of Soho, which is the heart of media land. And yeah all the people who I want to meet eventually have to get their hair cut. So if I go there, good point. And I'm this, surely going to meet... hairdressers as well. Yeah, and that hairdressers was like the place yeah, yeah. at the time. They had a clothes shop and, you know, then they had the hairdressers and it was like a real thing. <laughs> so, um, so I go there and I'm literally like, look, you know, and remember, what we have to understand as well is like, South London, North London, like kids from the hood weren't really in the West End no. at the time unless you were in the clubs. Yeah. And even then, only certain clubs would let you in. Yeah. I go there and like, convince these people to give me you know, a job. I'm just like, look, I'm just going to look cool. I, I could just be here and look cool in the window. Like, you've got no other black dudes working here. Yeah. I'm going to be here. I just had this sense that kind of street culture yeah. was bubbling up. And, and you were was, dressed for the occasion and all of that. In I was, the culture. I was in exactly. there. I was thing. I was deep in it. Yeah. You know, um, because I was going westward, I was going like, you know, by that time I was going to the clubs, yeah. like, you know. And I thought to myself as well, if I go to uni, then basically that means I'm not under the restrictions of being at home. Yeah. So you're going to give me a student grant, I can buy records, yeah. I can rave, and I can get through this English and drama degree. Yeah. It'd be cool. Plus it's a chance for me to meet new people. And that was always been one of my things, is like being around people who are different from you and seeing what you can learn yeah. from them. You think you got that from the school? You were like, Definitely. You know, it, it might have been hard, but... It was yeah. worth it because I met people and I yeah. realised other lifestyles and all that. Yeah. yeah. Because a school like that gives you drive. Yeah. Like you're not going to fail. No. And it also teaches you how to connect with people yeah. who maybe are intimidating. So there's a lot of people, find, you know, I often find myself in meetings now with people who like, who are super loaded, super cash, mm. you know, really connected, who try and intimidate you. And I'm like, I went to school with people like you. Yeah, like this, this is nothing. Don't it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's move past all that and get exactly. the problem. <laughs> yeah. So I end up at DMOB. Uh-huh. It's like... 89, right. end up at D-Mob, they pay me £15 a week. <laughs> Such an 89 wage. Right Such an 89 wage, man, you know what I mean? And I'm loving the job, I absolutely loved it. Wicked. And then Being the, in Soho every day, all of that. Soho every day, best times to be in that area. Mm. And then I think like on day one, Malcolm McLaren comes in. Shut up. I'm serious, bruv. <laughs> And I'm just sitting there like, well, two things have happened. One, I go there and like when I walk in, you like, you know, the senior hairdressers were allowed to t- to change the stereo music. Okay. 
So we're there, and the first day I'm like, oh, yeah, music's in this place, there's a kind of bit pants. But then there's this guy called Fraser Cook, mm-hmm. who um, is now like a big Nike guy. Mm-hmm. But he was there, and he was like from um, Deep East. like He was working there? Yeah, he was working there. Mm-hmm. And he puts on a red alert tape. And I'm like, yo, hold on a minute. Like, what? you know about red alert? And he's like, yeah, man. Like, you know, I read, know about Red Alert. And he was another of them guys who was going back and forth to New York. And he oh had decks and la, la, la. And like, he went on to be like um, a buyer for Passenger. Oh, right. So yeah. one of the first people to actually officially import Shelto's, you know, Puma States into the country. This wow. weird connected world. So this guy knows about Red Alert. I'm like, right, I'm at home right now. And his client is Malcolm McLaren. Oh, my God. Malcolm McLaren walks in. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, is Malcolm McLaren? Now, Malcolm McLaren's really here. Like, in the place. In the room. In the room with yeah. me. Because at that time, you didn't see hip-hop, your hip-hop no. heroes. No, 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 no. You know, and Malcolm McLaren, like, the Duck Rock album was a big album. Yeah. Like, what he did for the hip-hop culture early days. massive, man. He comes in, you know, and I'm like, the hairdresser, I'm the junior. So I'm sweeping up hair and washing hair. So I'm washing his hair. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, dude, like, the... the um, the radio on the cover of Duck Rock with the horns coming off and yes. the aerials, man. I'm like, where can I buy one? I'm like, that thing is fresh. Like, where can I buy one? <laughs> and I always remember him like, he kind of looked at me and he was like, I didn't buy it. I just had it made. Yeah, you don't buy that shit. Yeah, and he was like, if you ever want to do something, just do it. A style. And like, literally, the like, truth bomb. I'm like, right. <laughs> this guy said to me, like, if I want to do it, I just have to do it. That's a key right there. That's a fucking gem. Right. No so it gets so the story gets madder. He leaves. Client number two, Tim Westwood. Shut. <laughs> right. And now I'm just like, okay, this was the best decision that I've ever made. Yeah. Like I'm in it now because Westwood has just walked in, and up until that point, you kind of just saw Westwood at jams in a far yeah. like in the box in a massive jacket in a box massive jacket in the box surrounded by like goons yeah. or you basically saw him walking into the club surrounded by bad boys do I mean the seas parting smoke coming out of his record box because of like <laughs> the tunes that you know were so rare like yeah. it's funny when people are like you know they look at Westwood now and they talk their stuff and I'm like unless you were there and you really understood like his role and the mystery around the, him because literally, it was a guy, he just, like a vampire, he would just turn up at the jam, and for the rest of the week, ghost. And then you heard his voice for the radio, and then you come to the jam. So yeah, Westwood comes in, and he starts talking, and he's not doing the Westwood voice. And I'm just like... Oh my God. I remember just standing there, like, a bit like, what's going on? Like, you're the dude that I listen to. Like, I've, t- I've got beats for listening to your show. Yeah. When I should have been doing my homework. Yeah. And now you're in the shop talking in a normal voice. And he starts talking to me about stocks and shares. I want to talk about hip hop. I'm like, Tim Westwood is here. I just want to talk about hip hop. And he's talking to me about money. And he gave me some of the best advice I've ever had. And he's like, you know, and that's the one thing I will rate him for. He always, one, he's got an amazing ability to remember people's street names. Like, unparalleled. You'll see him like, you ain't seen him for 20 years. He'll be like, Blah blah blah. Struga ranking. <laughs> Guppy done. Like he just knows people's names. He said to me, he's like, right, best thing you can do is save a pound a week. Because at the end of the year, we're gonna give you fifty two pounds 
to treat yourself to something. He was the person who taught me how to save. And it was like, you know, and I think it was really simple logic, man, but such simple logic. And I think it was just that thing that he just recognized in people. Like if he had a talent, he would give you them words of wisdom. You're not going to waste it. No. So yeah, so that was like the first two people. And then I was just in it then, you know, and then it was kind of like one of those things because you're in the hairdressers. And so those are the places that sold tickets for jams where people put flyers in. You know, and so suddenly you're in the heart, you're working in the heart of Soho, getting ready to go to uni. You've found this killer job, and then you're like, right, you know, and then suddenly I realized you could be bilingual. Because I was, I was like, well, I'm going to go to uni and my life's going to stop. Mm. Actually, I'm like, I'm still going to uni and I've still got this job that I can do and be in both worlds, and that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, and actually, what I was meeting is other people who were like, had had similar situations where they've been to even really good schools and it kind of messed up. Or they just had a passion for learning and they were curious about life. And that became one of my things, like just like be curious about life, like learn from these people. These people yeah. know more than you. Like and also at the same time, what I really got into is the fact that these people are interested in your life. Yeah, well this is the thing, it, go, it goes back and forth. Yeah. If, you, if you just listen and they'll listen back. Yeah. And we cannot it's not about someone who's better or wiser or anything. It's just like there's a gem. I haven't used that. We're all going through the same battles. Yeah. Exactly yeah. the same battles. Yeah, man. So that was like brilliant. Being in Soho and then obviously Conrad to Conrad Realness from what WD, yeah. World Domination. He's working at Cuts and the corner. And there's this whole little group of hairdressers that are there. And every lunchtime we're in Reckless Records and we're going to Black Market. And that's where I know Sophie. I met Sophie and Zaki in Black Market. And even that for me, like meeting Zaki D, like actually like Man's like he sold me a copy of like the Far Side um, first Far Side album, and I just I just remember he's going black market. And be like, man, I can't even believe that this dude is talking to me, bro. Like, that shows how important that man is to remember. Buying a God Zaki's a fucking yeah, like what he's done for London. And then he, you know, he's one of the guys who got me into house, you know. But anyway, so there's all this stuff is happening, and then the warehouse things happening. I'm listening to Pipe Radio, and then we're listening to Centre Force, and we're going to Centre Force jams and Clapham Common. Because they used to bring the like their bus out and basically just have an impromptu rave on Clapham Common because you could do that then. And we're going to warehouse parties and you're getting in for free and now you're suddenly being you know you're entering this next what you re- what I realise is there's another level to this culture. Yeah, it's not and it's not about just staying within this one culture. It's all, they're all the same again. Same again. Same so again. It's just it maybe a different sound. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So and then. And then, so basically, then what happened, I think we got to about 91, and I was like, right, I'm absorbing all this hip-hop culture, and I'd been going back and forth to New York for the 70s and 80s, constantly with my mum, kind of visiting family, yeah. you know, and in the later years, I was kind of left to kind of go and wander yeah. by myself. But around about 91, I was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to New York, and I'm going to absorb myself, I'm going to sort of immerse myself in hip-hop culture, just to get a feeling of what's, what's really going down. I worked in a school dinner's kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> I walked in a school dinner's kitchen okay. washing dishes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, just accumulating jobs. And I went to New York and I remember going to the Bronx. Like, and I literally went there with a copy of like Subway Art and, uh, and the book that David Toop did. Oh, what's it called? Um, the Art of Graffiti. No. No, it's, um, it was a book, that, an early hip hop book mm-hmm. and it had a couple of addresses. Sorry, David Toop, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, so I go there 
stand outside Bambata's house, get someone to take a picture of me. You know, go to Paul Winley Records, get someone to take a picture of me. Just going around New York, getting taken a picture. But whilst I'm there, I'm like, look, you know, this New York is real. Mm. Like the New York that we think it is in London, you know, that we're getting from hip hop culture is very different from how it really, really is when you spend time in New York with, you know, and you're not just downtown, but you are deep in the hood yeah. and you're seeing what's going down. And I'm like, this music, I love it, but I want to be part of this in some way. But I don't want to just replicate. I want to contribute to the culture. Yeah. You know, Make it grow. Yeah, because you know, at that time there were people who were making records, but people were trying to rap in like fake American accents yeah. and kind of, you know, they had all the gear. Yeah. But it just kind of like, it I was going, so this was yeah. just, you know, I think there was a period of time where people were kind of walking around in this pastiche of hip hop fashion mm -hmm. of what they thought it was as to actually what it really was. It's, um, <clears throat> it's really difficult to explain, but it's... Well, no, I can imagine, man. It was what was offered and shown. There was nothing to base UK off. And so yeah. then it came down to some people having to make a real strict decision about yeah. we can shine. Yeah. And that's what you're kind of touching yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. So basically it was like, right, we're going to come back. And then, you know, you get back to London and Jungle's arriving. Oh, shit. And then it's just like, okay, right, this is this is brilliant. Like, you know, there's a next level that's kind of yeah. a chamber that's been... Opened up. Opened up. But yeah, man, like, you know, and I worked in M-Zone. M-Zone. Skate shop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was off Carnaby Street. Yeah. Worked there for a while. Um, and that was, again, like, immersive. And so this is a thing. So you had Tizer on. Yeah. Tizer was one of the people who taught me how to skate. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent, like, teen years... Because they were, like, again... They were American kids in London. Yeah. So it was like, man, there's some real American kids like Running in deep South London. Like they're properly from America, you know? <laughs> like, and um, yeah, he spent a lot of time skating with those guys and kind of hanging out with them. And so it's brilliant. You know, I love, I love the fact that, you know, he's like, you know, graph guy and he's doing his thing. Graf and God. You know, yeah. yeah it's like amazing. So yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, the early immersion. And so like, you, 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 it sounds like you just saw it all as one thing as well. You saw, you saw America and New York and its hip-hop culture and you saw yeah. it come here. Mm. But when it was here, you ended up it. everything became just culture, which yeah. meant all of that. Record shops, hanging out in Soho, listening to Acid House, House, yeah. Jungle, whatever it was. It was just, this is UK vibe, yeah. this is UK culture. I get where the spark was, but we've yeah. got our thing now. Yeah, it was, it, you know, it was London culture. Yeah. Because, you know, you got soul to soul. Mm. Oh man! Do you know doing their thing and then shaking finger pop and you know family function and then Norman Jay's doing his his jams and kind of like you know it was a really vibrant scene yeah. and so <clears throat> because because again because the music wasn't on the radio and other than Westwood's club there wasn't really another place that you could go to and kind of hear hip hop loud mm. with a load of people and when you went to Westwood jams back in the day you know they were really gnarly. So you never knew what was going to happen. Wasn't that relaxed? <laughs> it wasn't that relaxed, you know. So actually, when the warehouse party started happening and people were like, well, I'm playing some hip hop, but I'm playing it alongside some reggae and some la 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 and la la la. Yeah. I was kind of like, okay, well, this is cool because this is kind of maybe a bit of a safer way to kind of observe being part of this culture. Yeah. Because, you know, I cannot stress to people how gnarly like dingles when Ultramagnetic MCs played and the bum rush like you've seen the Normski pictures it was yeah. kind of like that is those photos are nuts 
When you look at, like, <laughs> I remember being at a Westwood Jam where he played Cool V's Tribute to Scratching Part 2. It's a Bismarck Key record. It's got a, a Michael Jackson sample that was never cleared, so they pulled it from the album. So it was one of those Holy Grail records. Yeah. Westwood had it on a dub plate, and I think Pogo or Business had a copy. And he played it on the radio, and it was like time shut down. And it was one of those records where it was like, man, is he going to play it ever again? And then he played it at this jam at, in Hammersmith Palais. And literally, the first, not even the first 30 seconds, Finn comes on, gunshots, pop, 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 come out. Guy pulls out a gun. People are just hype. Oh my God, he's playing Cool V's Tribute to Scratch in part two. People are jetting from the floor, like they're running out of there. And I'm standing there like not moving. Because I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to hear this record again. Oh, shit. It's that important. So I'm going to stand here for as long as I can before I really, really have to run. My no, friends are like, run, come on, let's go. Like, and um, yeah, that's how deep in it we were. London as well back then, man. A completely different world. Yeah, I mean, it, like, you know. The underground, the streets, the, the raves, yeah. the clubs, the security, <laughs> the regulations, the... Yeah. Everything about it, the street lights. <laughs> yeah. Everything about London, you know, is very different. And I think that area I think that cities have to progress. Yes. Yeah. You know, definitely, you know, yeah. because again, the thing is London's a lot you know, it's a lot safer than it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely I mean horrible what's going on at current yeah. times, but it's still safer than it was. It's still safer than it was. Because, you know, we haven't even touched on the racism that was around like well, yeah, late eighties, like yeah. you know the first time I went to Shoreditch we went to a warehouse party and then afterwards they were like, my friend was, I heard his friend called Jane, Jane Howarth and she was like, we're going to go to the bagel shop. There's a 24 hour bagel shop. Brick Lane. Yeah. I'm like, like what? what? Like 24 hour shop in Brick Lane? No yeah. way. Why? No, yeah. there's no 24 hour shops in. Yeah. We go to Brick Lane, you know, it's full of ravers, everyone's coming out, you know, and it's morning time. So mm. like, you know, we're in there, but the National Front, you know, had their office on Brick Lane. What? Yeah. So they were still handing flyers out at the time yeah it was even International Front or BNP right yeah, one yeah. of those guys like they, they still had their office in Shoreditch when I first landed Damn. yeah I mean you'd go like to places like you know Millwall you know if you ever were at London you know London Bridge when Mill and a Millwall game and then you'd be getting chased by Millwall you know people that's why when people ask me what football team you support and I say Arsenal and they laugh. I'm like, yeah, because I'm old school. Because yeah, yeah. I'm a black African guy from London. And I'm in my late 40s. I and I don't know many people around my age who, you know, who were on Millwall or yeah. Chelsea or West Ham. Because mm. the black dudes I know who supported those clubs, they were real dudes. Like, serious <laughs> yeah. guys. They were serious dudes. Like that you know Kaz mean? guy. Like the Kaz Paddock guy, yeah. yeah they yeah, were yeah. serious dudes. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, brilliant time to be in London. And, you know, vibrant time and amazing times which will never come back and you know haven't been that documented that well mm. you know because there's a lot more, people document the obvious stuff but there's a lot of other stuff that was going on and characters and this is why I love this podcast because I was like finally there's a resource out there that's talking to the people who were really 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 there okay. not just the most you know the obvious yeah. the usual suspects because it's like somebody art isn't it it's kind of like you well, know I think yeah I just everyone's got such an amazing story and I think if you've been in the culture a culture 
and in this city, where am I going to find this shit? Yeah. Who's going to tell it. me these stories? Where am I? I really want to know. And I know yeah. a lot of other people do as well. It fills in gaps. It you yeah. know, helps you understand, makes you respect it, understand it more. Like Yeah, I'm, yeah definitely. I always remember going to a, um, we went to a train party oh, on shit. a circle line. Yeah. I think it was all organised like Bass Street Kids. or yeah. There used to be these like party collectives, the organised parties. I remember we went on one and I remember all the graph dudes, like all the WD guys came and what's... um. Iron and Abel yeah. and their crew. What was their crew? B&B. B &B. Yeah, they came, B, B came. Dref was in that. And Dref was in that crew. Yeah. And Drax was there. Like, everyone was there. And um, my guy from Brighton, he doesn't write anymore, but he was, like, prolific at the time. Nima? No. No. Uh, you know the dude. Older. We're going to get to him. We'll remember his name. Uh -huh. But anyway, he's there. And I remember, like, some of the guys turned up in suits <laughs> with briefcases. And I always remember, like, as they would turn up, because everyone else is b-boyed out. Yeah, yeah. Because at that time it was kind of like you got kudos. The more b-boyed out yeah. you could be, pin rolls, lines in the side it's of your hair, yeah, yeah. all of it. I mean, Zaki was there with the like Zaki free step styling. haircut, man. Like the styling on people. And these guys will turn up in suits, and all they're laughing like, "Oh man, why are these guys in suits? What's going on?" You know what I mean? And then like you know, train pulls into the tunnel, and then you know, pandemonium breaks out, and they start. Like I always say to people, you should go to prison for a day because it's a really good experience to go. Like yeah. you know, don't stay in, but go just to visit or do some work. Yeah. Go to a berth, yeah, because you just see some amazing, stuff. amazing stuff. You know, seeing life is crazy. Climb like climb a peak like that you think you can't climb Mount Snowden. Yeah, but you should also be on a train when it's getting bombed. <laughs> amazing, because it's one of the most like exhilarating experiences of your life because suddenly you know these clean services the destruction is just like Stain. it's crazy you know I was chatting to someone recently who's written a, their thesis on graffiti they're a graffiti yeah. writer as well and um, they've spoken about the fact that it's not actually about the, the final bit it's yeah. the performance of it mm. I can't wait to read it. And yeah. That's exactly what you were saying. Yeah. That switch, you yeah. hit the tunnel, yeah. bang. Yeah. All of a sudden, like four guys jump up, yeah. pens out. Yeah. And they're going in deep. Yeah. And so um I remember like so the police stopped the train in the tunnel. Right. Like we had a good ride around, you yeah. know, people are taking the lights out of the light bulbs out and the boom boxes on and it's like they're playing oh. the latest red alert mix and we're all getting down and then suddenly the train stops. Granted, remember it's a district line train. Yeah. It, no circle line train. And it stops. And then all the toys start panicking. Yeah. You mean? And they're all super b-boyed out. Yeah. Because they want to show people that they're down with the culture. Yeah, so yeah, they've got yeah, yeah. speckles on the shoes and the hands. And um, police come on, raid up the place. All the guys in suits just get up and just mingle off into the crowd. Close the briefcase Calm, up with the spray cans in. Yeah. And away they go. Just and I remember not mentioning any of the names who were there that day. Move. But I always remember, I was like, Slick guys. Oh, amazing. And again, that was like a, another thing where it was like, just because you're down with the culture doesn't mean you have to shout that you're down no, with the culture. No. And that was like a real, that day was a real like... Eye-opener for that side. Yeah, of yeah, that side yeah. of things. I um, mean, and, and you know, and so, yeah, so we did all of the, you know, that and it's the warehouse party thing and that's all going off and then, and then I met James Lavelle. Yeah. I don't know if I'm asking you the questions that you're supposed to be asking me. No, so. I'm just... 
Like, so are you done uni by now? Yeah, did the uni. Uni went well. Went well. Really well. Got my degree. Mum yeah. was like, cool, wicked, brilliant. You've got a degree. We can put it up on the wall. Yeah. Came to my graduation. Very proud. Um, you know, I was working at... Um, so it's D-Mob. From yeah. D-Mob, I went to Fish. Uh-huh. From Fish, I ended up at Cuts. So now I'm coming into contact with Goldie. And, you know, because he's getting his hair cut there. I'm going to Metalheads, the Blue Note, you know, going there. Um, and then basically met, um, I got a job on the Word TV programme. What? Again, from the hairdressing thing. Wait, there were so many firsts here. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so many firsts. So, and this is the reason why I, I, like, I was itching to come and talk to you because that's the stuff Shit. that people don't ask me about. Yeah. And then... The type of times when I, you know, when, when I do those type of interviews, it's generally with people who are not from London, so yeah. it doesn't land with them the same way. Yeah. So again, I'm at the I'm at the hairdressers one day, and I'm kind of washing, you know, some TV producers' hair who I'm kind of building up this relationship with, because people started coming in and being like, "So what's happening in the street? What's happening? You know, yeah. you're the guy from South London. Like you're into music, you're into this like hip hop stuff, you're into the club scene. What's going on? What do we need to know about?" And this opportunity came up on the word as to be a, a TV researcher because they were like, street culture is happening. You know, what was that program? Was it Dan- not Dance Wicked? There was a there was a TV program that was on Channel 4. Bad Meaning Good? No. It's one of the ones which they had dancers on and bands and okay, kind of, yeah, like and it's more kind of, yeah. you know, club <clears throat> orientated. And the word are like, right, brilliant. You know, this street culture is kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we need some people in the company who know about this stuff. They're like, are you interested in a job? We're going to pay you £200 a week. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of like, my hairdressing job is kind of cool. And I'd got, I've been, so mad. I've been asked by Sony to be an artist liaison guy for the Fugees. The Fugees are like, yeah. The Fugees are coming over, the Fugees are going on tour. You know, and just through people you meet. Yeah, this is through people I'm meeting again because we're in Soho. Yeah, and everyone's there. The hairdresser shops there. The record companies are there. Genius move, man. Accidental. So you know, they're they're like, we need this. We need someone to basically drive the Fujis around and kind of hang out with them and take take them places and just look after them while they're in town. But this guy, you know, at the very same time, he's like, well, look, we've got this opportunity coming up on the word. And I'm like, you know what? The word job, they let you have a mobile phone. So I'm going to take the job for the TV company because mm. you get a mobile phone. And that was the only reason why I took it. It wasn't because I was really into TV. You know, the guy who I started the same day, this guy called Andrew Newman, he's like, I think he's like the head of Channel 4 now. Wow. He's like a big time like TV yeah. exec. Most of the people who I worked with, you know, because Chris, he- Chris Evans was there. Yeah. You know, loads of people who were like, they're big in TV now. But I just wasn't really into TV. I was into culture. So you come and do the job, but it wasn't... I wasn't passionate about it. No. And so, you know, I took the job because they gave you a mobile phone. Yeah. And, you know, and my mum was happy because it was like, okay... Career. Career. And I, you know, it was one of my... A real eye-opener into kind of don't sell out your culture. Mm. When you get in that position, don't sell it out. Don't cheapen it. Don't cheapen it. And there, was, there were a couple of situations where basically I felt that they were cheapening the culture. So they did a thing with Black Moon mm-hmm. where basically, you know, they were like, we need to interview a hip hop group from America. And I'm like, and I had friends who worked at, um, you know, Duck Down Records in New York. Okay. So I'm like, right, well, there's this group called Black Moon. They're really cool. They go there and they do the interview and midway through the interview, they pull out a suitcase with a Desert Eagle gun in the thing. 
And now, of course, Black Moon, they open the thing up and they start flipping out of what they first thing to do, get the gun out, start waving it around. And that's what ends up in the shot, you know, in the program. Right. They do a thing with um, MC yeah. Hammer comes on and they're basically, every time he opens his mouth, they're like, they play the hammer. Like they kind of, they started ridiculing all these people who I was like, oh, we used to get this Snoop Dogg guy. Like the day Snoop came down was like, you know, the studio was deep, Elstree, West London deep. Mm. And like just the hood just descended on the thing. <laughs> like they heard Snoop was there. And obviously Snoop's there and he wants to hang out. He wants yeah. to hang out with his people. And it was all got a bit messy. And so I was like. But they're not showing. They they weren't really kind of, you know. Do you think it partly was to do with the translation to the public, to the wider audience? I just think that hip hop culture at that time had this real sensationalist kind of vibe. So people which were just like stories, which bring yeah. headlines, which yeah, you know what I mean. So well, use the sensationalism rather than the knowledge and the, it's all the, the focusing culture. On the, yeah, the, on the negatives. I'm just like, yeah. no one ever talked about the fact that even to this day, like you know, there was a lot of kids who were raising each other. Yeah, you know, being father figures for each other yeah. through culture, through culture, like learning respect. Yeah, like, they didn't, they couldn't learn it at home. Yeah, exactly. And they learned it through looking at peers. Yeah, like. Exactly. So, so much more comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, like, you know, so I ended up in TV and then I was kind of like, by that time, I'd been to New York on this big trip and come back and been like, these records that I'm playing and really, um, you know, fascinated by, actually, I'm in London. Mm. I don't have a gold chain. I don't have a flight. I'm not driving a Jeep. Like, mm. Westwood's the only person I know in London who's got a Jeep. It's like all this stuff of hip hop culture that I've been bowing down to through my teenage years and my early 20s, actually is maybe not talking to me as much because we've got this social situation happening in the UK that these rap dudes don't care about. And don't get. It's different. They don't care. Mm. Do you mean? You know, those are the days when people would come down, like, remember Supercat came to like, to Brixton and basically, like, walked through Brixton. Someone gave him a like, massive bag of weed. Like, mm. you know, people would just come to Brixton to be like, I went, came through the hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah get the pictures taken and then go. go but they weren't really there and I think at that time some real stuff was happening because the drug thing's becoming a problem you know crack is in the London now it's there you know the music has brought people together the warehouse music scene has brought people together but it's also dividing people now because we're getting the splinters now where it's like you know well, the house people don't want to really party in the same room as the jungle people and no one wants the hip-hop people in there. And so now it's all beginning to like splinter up again. And then even more subcategories. And then the drug takers and the non-drug takers. Yeah, and, and then... The different types of drugs. Yeah, and the different types of drugs start coming in and it's just like, it's all getting a bit, you know, gnarly in London. And I'm just thinking, actually, this music's not really think, speak, speaking to me. And also, I'm realising that a lot of these the hip-hop people that I know are really close-minded. Mm. It's actually kind of like it's their way or no way or it's no way. Or nothing, yeah. The rules of come, like this thing that was supposed this culture that was supposed to that brought all these different elements together and remixed them and spat them back out has now come to London where it's like people are like subway art is now a Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, any piece of hip hop information that you get is the law. And unless you're following it in that way, then suddenly it's like, you you know, you're not really welcome or you're not really down and it's kind of like, and I was just like, fractions, man. Fractions, fractions, fractions. Yeah, and then I'm, you know, I meet James Lavelle in um, Record Shop in Notting Hill. Mm. And I was just like really inspired by the fact there was someone who was a nerd, because I was a nerdy hip-hop fan. I was the guy who's like, you know, the hive of information. 
you said some amazing like yeah. single names and record labels and what I can tell. Yeah, like I would go, I was an archive guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because also my thing was, because I was getting so much grief at home, my thing was like, when these people ask me about the thing, I need to break it down to them like a historian. Yeah. So they understand how yeah, deep. I've got to do this academically. Yeah. Yeah. And I just also recognised it was such a powerful thing. Mm. Because, because I was going, you know, there's a thing when people talk even though like, you know, about Zulu Nation or, you know, the early jam, block party jams where people are coming together and the gangs are putting down the knives and they're taking up the dancing and all that type of stuff. Unless you've really been there at the time and seen it, you like you don't really understand the power the power of what that music had and how it brought people together. And so for me, I was just like, you know, unless it's doing the same thing in London, which it wasn't, which it wasn't, you know, because also at that time, what's happening is. You know, the DJ thing's splitting off, the dancers are splitting off, the graph thing is splitting off. So mm. the, this four elements thing is not really happening That's anymore. Breaking down. That's breaking down. So I was like, you know what? I met this guy. He's just as nerdy about music as I am. You just chat, did you just meet him in the record shop and start chatting? Like, just yeah, because literally. Because you remember when you, back in the day when you used to go to record shops, it didn't matter how much money you had in your pocket, you still might not get served. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Good point. Do you mean you could have big boy money and like, okay. they weren't like, no. We're not serving you, mm. you know. So when you start developing a relationship with people in shops who actually like, when you come in, they're like, oh yeah, I've got the bag for you. Because mm -hmm. at that point, you know, any of the hot tunes, if you were, you know, someone, they would take a copy off and put it into your bag with your yeah. name on and keep it underneath the counter till you came in. You could pay for records on layaway, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like, I don't really have the money now, but yeah. Sophie, like, hold that for me and I'll yeah. be back in a week. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't, you know, so... I met this guy and what I really liked about him is the fact that he was just, he was 16. I was just like, this is brilliant. Like he, he's got a disregard of authority like I have. Cause I don't like hierarchy for hierarchy's sake. Mm. You get it. You get yeah. his role, but not yeah. for its sake. Yeah. Not for its sake. Real should recognize real. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not on this thing. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, just because you haven't paid your dues, if you're talented, then let me nurture that. Yeah, let me see your heart. If your heart's there, yeah. it could. Doesn't matter about yeah. Jews. Heart. Yeah. So um, when I met James, it was kind of like, right, this kid's rebellious. You know, he's a white kid working in a black sh in a record shop in a predominantly like it's a mixed area, but right. it's like yeah. you know, hardcore sticks men still go to this shop. Yeah, yeah. And you know that he's had to do his initiation to be here. Mm -hmm. And the thing I talk about, you know, the, the thing is, it's interesting when people people get nervous when they when you talk about race now. Because they don't realise how important it was back then and how many barriers there were. Which is why when, you know, when I see people like Zaki and, you know, people always go on about Zaki's haircuts. And I'm like, bruv, like, man had to basically represent to have that haircut mm. at that time because there weren't many dudes. That wasn't easy for him, man. That, that wasn't, wasn't easy. sitting in front of the mirror saying, sick, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and everyone's going to love it. No, yeah. No, you know no, what I mean? No, no. I have the ultimate guy. respect for a lot of people like, you know, Mr. Thing. Like, a lot of those dudes who you'd see, especially the suburban white kids that like you see at the jams, enough respect for those guys because you know it was a mission. Yeah. They loved that music so well, much. The that heart had to be pulled out to step in them rooms. The amount of courage that had to be pulled Dude, together. Like, come on, man. The amount of things those people had to face. Yeah. And, and all, all types of different people. But you're right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Even if you're getting it at the jam or you're getting it when you get home. But, yeah. so, was it was it predominantly a black culture then? Here. 
No, I wouldn't or, say it was predominantly a black culture. I, I would say there were, there were it was there were a lot of black people involved in the culture, and yeah. the white kids who were involved in it, you knew, yeah, because they were the heads. Yeah, they'd done their initiative. Do you mean it's yeah. like, and so inside the club, yeah, or the record shop, or yeah. the, the the train parties or whatever, and you're with like-minded and yeah. then black people and white yeah. people. Yeah, it was like we're one. Yeah, but outside everyday life for Charlie. Yeah, racism was on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was there was doors shut. Yeah, it definitely. Was, yeah, it, I lived in Richmond when I was at uni, and I used right. to get stopped by the police all the time because I was going to jams and then coming back late. Two in the morning, three in the morning. Two in the, three three in the morning, morning, hands up on the top of the police car, regular, going through the pockets, regular. And then I had situations where my uni mates wanted to cut because they were like, "Where are you going? Every night you're disappearing off to these places. We want to come." Mm. And I remember, like, you know, I was really nervous about taking them because I was going to, like, gnarly places yeah, where yeah, you need yeah. to roll with people. If anything happened, yeah. they knew what to do. And you'd, been, you'd worked at being able to be in them places. Yeah, and people would be like, who are these dudes? Like, yeah. we don't know these dudes. What are yeah. you And we'd go to things. And I remember one time we went to Shaka. We went to Shaka dance in Vauxhall. Jar Shaka dance, reggae dance. And we got stopped by the police on the way back. And I was the only one who got taken out of the car. And I remember, you know, and they put my hands up on the roof and they're going for the pockets and everyone, all my friends are in the car looking at me getting searched. And that was really hard, you know, and it's kind of like, and that was still at the back of my mind. It's such a know? mad thing to carry, yeah. man. It's like a level of life that people don't, un- people don't know, people don't understand. They don't even they understand. They don't, they don't, because they don't see it, you know, and it's kind of, and I'm like, even, and the thing is you got, the racism came both ways because, you know, black people at the time as well, you know, some people were really conservative. You know, we were still in that, you know, under the pressure of our parents. So some of us had quite conservative thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So when you were rocking, you know, I'm walking through Peckham with a pair of Vivian Westwood jeans on and people were just like, traffic stopped. People were just like, what are you wearing? Like, bruv. What? You know what I mean? So when you see like, you know, the really flamboyant diets, dark black dudes that you see at West End who are like dropping the styles and the fashions and stuff, it's like, yeah, like in their own neighbourhoods, they had they had to face grief to even step out the house wearing that kind of stuff because people were just like, what, you're going to a club with a MA1 jacket with beer towels sewn on the back with a VW, you know, no, <laughs> car yeah. side around your neck. Right. You better get out of here quick. Yeah, yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah. And if obviously you're having to take public transport, night bus, or you're walking. I used to walk back from Trafalgar Square to Richmond, regular commute. You know, it really fucking intrigues me, man, like what that's done to you and many other black guys that have grown up in our city and black girls having to carry... And it's actually worldwide, especially in the Western world. Having to carry something like that with you everywhere and how that then molds you and forms you well for some people it can so the funny thing is that so so i'm a yoga teacher now okay so i've trained to be a yoga teacher now and so one of the things that you learn you know as you're going through yoga teacher training process is about all the trauma that your body holds yes you know in its muscles and it's what's been really interesting is realizing that because of the way that hip-hop arrived in the country which was if you're into hip-hop you got to look a certain way, stand a certain way, talk a certain way, think a certain way, you know. But more importantly, you've got to have a certain attitude. So you've got these people like 
who adopted these very hard personas. Oh, mate, it fucking makes you so stiff. Like a mask. Literally, you're Do like me? a rock yeah. down the street. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. You know, because basically, the music demanded that if you wanted to be part of it, you had to be... Because you couldn't be rocking up to Comic Garden and all be like, Hi! People would just be like... Well, do it once, you're never coming back. Yeah, coming back. Like, and if you are coming back, you're not coming back like that. People getting taxed. So you like, end up changing as a person. Yeah, you stand, yeah exactly. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. That, yeah. So it's actually really interesting now, you know, in my late 40s, where suddenly, you know, and I'm working a practice which is about, you know, releasing your body. And so now some of this trauma is coming out and you're realising like, man, I've been holding that in my body all this time. I went to a Westwood jam where basically like, Vauxhall, 66 Godding Street, the big railway arch. Mm-hmm. And where Dan- this club used to be, the club called Dance Wicked was also in that club. And this kid pulled a knife out on me afterwards at the, um, as I was waiting for, you know, the, the bus. And I just remember I had to basically front the kid with a look of like, yeah, no, I'm, not I'm, I'm not having this, yeah. you know. And I really do feel like that just stayed in the heart. Oh, kind of like you know what I mean so like as I say the same thing about you walking home after a club and pretty much knowing and being certain you're going to yeah. get stopped yeah carrying that yeah is a, that's a trauma yeah a small one mm. in compared to what the weight of that word yeah and exactly the same thing with that but any type any of those interactions that ever happen I went through quite a lot of those interactions mm. it's a definite it, it's a scar it's yeah. a real sky. It yeah. forms a lump. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. what you're saying is it forms this tension in your body. Yeah. Let's, um, how did you get to yoga? And I don't want to get to yoga now. Yeah. But what's this link then? What, so culture's brought you through and we're in the early to mid 90s. Yeah. So early to mid 90s, I meet James Lavelle in a record shop and he's like, you look, his words to me were, so he strike up this friendship and we're swapping records and we're, you know, I'm reading and hearing about Japan because Soul to Soul went to Japan yep. and Massive Attack went to Japan and Japan seemed like this really cool place where like, you know, if you wanted shell toes, you could get them in Japan. If you wanted a goose, anything you wanted that was hip hop related was now suddenly in Japan and we're meeting the old Japanese kids in London who were kind of like super cool, had cool stuff, just rolled in a different way and um, I, I meet James and he's like, look, you look like you're into hip hop and I am setting up this record label called Mo Wax. So can you make me some records? And I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man makes beats all the time. Like I can do this. Yeah, standard. yeah, cool. Standard. standard. Like just fronting my way through. Yeah, standard. Because I'm just like, <laughs> hold on a minute. This guy's going to give me a record deal. Yeah. And I'd been DJing. Yeah. I was going to say, you, yeah. with all these records and that, you might Yeah, yeah. So I'd been, I'd, I'd been DJing. I'd, I was DJing at uni. I'd been yeah. DJing at, at, you know, when I was at school because people assumed that I knew yeah. about music and yeah. I was like, who am I to say no? Yeah, that's fine. So we're doing big jams, you know, we're getting a bit of a reputation for being like good DJs. We had skills. Good. My mum had this big record collection, which as, you know, the sampling in hip hop increased, yeah. I suddenly realised that I've got the originals of these oh, records God. in my house. Yeah. Like, we had James Brown records for days. That was like our, my mum would be like on a Sunday, wake you up and go and do your chores. And then she'd put on like a James Brown album. Yes. And so that, that's for me, every time I hear James Brown, I just want to reach for a broom and start sweeping. <laughs> something I feel like, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, like, you know, so we meet James and then we, you know, he signs me to this deal. And I've never made a record in my life. But I knew this other African kid, Nigerian kid called Tony Wachuku 
who was another kid I'd seen out. Mm-hmm. And so, because at that time, you kind of gravitated to like, oh my God, you're from Africa too? Yeah. And you're into hip hop? Okay, man, yeah, you cool. You know my feelings. You know my you feelings, know man. Through. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, um, we kind of, he kind of came on board and then the girl that I was seeing at the time told us about some girl who'd been, she'd heard singing in the corridors of her uni. So she, and then we just formed this group. And my thing was just like, look, we're influenced by hip hop, but we're gonna, we're gonna just try and explore and see what we can find. And it went really well. It's really weird. And, and, and I think like a lot of people in that time, we got spoilt early. Yeah. Because... What, what were you called? Attica Blues. Attica Blues. Yeah, Attica Blues. We signed to Moax. We did yeah, um, an album for them. And then we did an album for Sony as well. And we did loads of remixes and productions and kind of... We just started living that pop star life. You got treated. Yeah, we got the like... When we got to Sony, we got a big deal. Like it was Amazing. a good... Healthy. Nice, healthy, yeah, and Felt secure, yeah. And I like the first deal we had, where we basically just spunked it on records and trainers because mm-hmm. it was just like, and it wasn't a massive amount. It would have been a new label, mo, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't a massive amount, but it was kind of we were making DJ money mm. in the days when DJ money, you know, when a tax man wasn't coming for DJs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like Marking. cash in hand, cash in hand. This is the reason why a lot of people from that era are so bad with money because they mm. come from cash in hand era, mm. you know. Transferring, it's hard. Man. Yeah, so um, you know, we were DJing, and then through the Moax thing, started traveling DJing, and that was like really interesting. Going to other countries, um, and other cities in the UK. Other cities in the UK started. I suddenly became this beast. I was like, right, wherever there's a music culture in the UK, I'm going. Yeah. So I'd go to Bristol for the day and just hang out, just to absorb Bristol. Find a record shop. Yeah, you know, I was going everywhere, out. Brighton, everywhere, Bournemouth. I was like, you know. Again, my thing was kind of like, because I'd been at school and felt like an outsider, I was just kind of like, well, I'm an outsider anyway, so I'm just going to go to these places and just yeah. hang out. And even, I tell you what, even if you don't think I'm an outsider, it was just like, I know how to deal with it. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. yeah. You know I mean? It's yeah. Like, I'm, I don't need to be worried. Yeah. And then also, one of my main things was like, I've seen people who I'd grown up with in, you know, East Dulwich Peckham, who had never left. Yes. They were just still in the hood. Yeah. Doing nothing. Yeah. And I was just like, there's a massive world out there bro the, it, that local high street the fucking the block the this I know people the same man it, like, dude I've got a friend who basically when we both got into hip hop at the same time he yeah. still has not been to New York yet yeah I mean he's still saying he's gonna go yeah yeah I'm like brother you're like nearing your 50s now like I don't know if you're dude, really gonna make it right now I don't know what you're gonna see you know yeah exactly I don't know what you're gonna see yeah so you know the one thing I always say to people is like the warehouse party scene in London brought cultures together and class together and that's a really important thing. A lot of barriers, and especially at a time of Thatcher and just the end of Thatcher. Yeah, you're going to a warehouse party and you're waking up in someone's like fat house in West London, like you know, and it's you know, and everyone's cool. It's just weird, right, you know. It's fine, yeah. And they do. And what I really got from it was like this idea of like being an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? Just kind of Finish. like, yeah, so like... I'm doing this. Yeah, you had kids who were like, right, I'm really into clubs, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to like, I'm going to set up a t-shirt printing business in my front room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or whatever. 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 So yeah, so signed to my wax, and that's all lovely, and we go through the whole kind of, you know, major label roller coaster, and we get dropped like, I think it was like 1999. Mm. Sade basically releases her album late. And it throws the whole of Sony into <laughs> catastrophe. Like everyone's like, you know, Sade is not releasing her album. She needs another year. 
and then everything like you know they just suddenly start slashing the budget pause, pause. because also <laughs> CDs are coming in right the way people consume music is beginning to change yeah you know and it's suddenly it's a bit of a kind of topsy-turvy time yeah and the you most important what's going to happen yeah you couldn't see what's going to happen and the most important thing was just like suddenly you realise that it wasn't just enough to make music you had to know how to market yourself you had to kind of, you know, because before it was always like, I just make music, man. and I've got your back, don't worry. Yeah. You go and make the music. Yeah, but now it's like you've got my music and you've, you're, you've got people who who are in the music industry who are not into music are now coming in. Yeah, business. Or people who don't know about music. Yeah, business. They're good at moving numbers around, but they don't know about music. Yeah. So now you're having to explain stuff which you're just you just thought everyone knew. You thought those surroundings, the world yeah. you'd put yourself in. Yeah. So that was kind of like, you know, that was a, big wake up call mm. like you know a lot of stuff I had a long term relationship with a girl singing this, seeing this girl in New York and you know I, <laughs> I remember one day I'm in Wapping it's raining I've been dropped and then oh, she's God. like she rings me up on the phone and she's like I'm like where are you she's like yeah I'm just here with Puff Daddy and Dame Dash and we're just kind of hanging out and I'm like she's gonna dump me soon she's gonna dump me soon she's like this is this relationship is going to be ending real soon, oh, and sure enough, it kind of like imploded. Yeah, you know, and I wake up. I just kind of went into this period of depression. Yeah, and which I just basically like really didn't know how to deal with, and no one's talking about depression. So this is like basically eighty one in the Bronx witnessing yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, to then getting on this roller coaster, which yeah. slowly juggles its way up. Up yeah. and up and up and then goes fucking nuts through the yeah. 80s and yeah. 90s yeah. you're on this thing it's non-stop yeah. and then and then suddenly it's just like you can't get hold of your a and man mm. and then for, prior to that you know they're sending cabs for your mum to go and take a pounded yam back from Peckham Market to her house like mm. they're doing anything for you and now you can't get hold of people and you get dropped and it's like it's kind of like kids who kind of been, you know who've been told all their life, you're going to be a footballer, you're going to be a footballer, a footballer, and then they get to like 18 and they get dropped from the academy. Yeah. You suddenly wake up and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do because all my life has been about being a DJ, yeah. getting into music, you know, finding my voice, being some, Yeah. 100% that, everything. You realise it doesn't mean anything. So kind of like, I started this night called um, Blacktronica. When did you do that? How long after? That was about 2001. So a year or so goes past. Yeah. yeah. And I'm kind of just bumbling around. I'm still DJing. I'm still flying yeah, yeah. around. But yeah. also but yeah, what's happening... My brain's a bit heavy. Yeah, my brain is heavy. And also what's happening is <clears throat> laptops have arrived. Right. And they're powerful, which means studios are closing down because you now don't need to go to a central space. Mm. So all of these people who you've kind of grown up with and come up with a scene together, you know, you're all becoming successful, but you're now flying around the world. So you're missing all your mates by a week. Everywhere. Do you know what I mean? I remember being in New York, like it was in Philadelphia, and I'm talking to this guy called King Britt, producer. Like he was the original DJ for um, Diggable Planets. Yeah. And he's a kind of like big like um big house producer, and then he kind of makes kind of weird synthy stuff now. But he was like, There's this thing called Friendster. Mm. And it's like this electronic thing that allows you to kind of message your mates online. And I was like, why would anyone want to use that? Just call you up on the phone. Yeah, like we've got mobiles. We've got right? mobiles. You know, so naive. I should have invested in that in the time. But yeah, so basically, the scene is like the asteroids. It's like that scene in Star Wars when they're in the asteroid field and it starts breaking up. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and suddenly it's people are going in their own different directions, and 
you know, laptop means that you just don't see people anymore. Age as well has become a yeah, and people lives getting, have been built. Years have gone past. People having kids. Yeah, houses have been bought. Yeah, just being dealt with. So I'm like, you know, I moved to East London. I'm in East. You know, I never thought I'd live in East London because, as far as I was concerned, East London people were just like different, different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all like, the way from Public Enemy to yeah, the exactly. Like, like I can't different. believe I'm back in East London. It's so crazy. <laughs> So I'm in East, you know, and I start Blacktronica because I went to New York and I played um, I Love You, hmm. Dizzy Rascal record. And I can't even remember the year that came out. That's got to be around like... Around that time. Around that time, yeah. And I cleared the floor. Yeah. Destroyed the dance floor in New York. I mean, like, it was like wild pit bulls had been let loose in the club. That club went from Ramo Jamo. And it was during like a big music seminar. So it was even a new music seminar were like... Yeah. One of the big music seminars that they had in New York, and the promoter's like flipping out. He's losing his shit. He's like, We've flown you all the way over from New York, we're giving you a hotel room, and we're paying you this money, and you've just played this crazy, I don't even know what that is, and the crowd has just run off the dance floor, and it's all you. And I, and I have this epiphany, and I'm realizing, look, like, you know, this UK culture is beginning to travel around the world now, and there are people who are listening to it. But they don't understand how to dance to it or any of the culture yeah. that's around it. And that it's been built from. And- I DJed at the Roxy. Wow. You know, and again, with like, I think I played with Fabio. I was in like, the, you know, the hip hop room and then they had that Fabio Groove Rider in the main room and like, kids were break dancing to jungle tunes. And I was just like, I was just standing there horrified like, no, 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 that's... No, no, wrong room, man. No, you're supposed no. to skank on the one and two. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? This isn't right. I got the white gloves on doing the rave oh, thing like all that I'm just like whoa like what is this um, and I suddenly realised that the culture is not travelling with the music Yeah. and now I realise and that's how the Caesar Blacktronica came about which is basically like look you need to create an environment that's a bit like soul to soul back in the day so it's bringing all these different people in across London you know together because my thing is if you're doing a party in London it should represent the people who live in London Yeah. you know what I mean you've got to have all different types of people in there those are the best jams Start doing it at the ICA, you know, because we're just like, we don't want to be in the club. Yeah. We just kind of had this idea that basically, again, the culture is going to change. But at the moment, everyone's just calling it urban. And my thing is, there's more to black music than just urban. Hey, that's, that's how I feel about it. That's why we don't say youth culture. Yeah. No matter how it. it's looked at. Yeah. This is culture. It's culture. So, you know, we're playing Dizzy Rascal ne- Records next to Fela Kuti Records, next to Public Enemy Records, next to... We're just mashing it up and joining the dots and doing this whole kind of thing. Giving everyone something. Yeah, and then we've got big visuals on the walls and we're going in on the flyers and we're just kind of like, you know, bringing it in. And we made a collective. We had, like, artists in there. Chris Affili, who was, like... Massive. Massive artist now. You know, he's part of that crew. David Ajay was part of that crew, big architect. Um Loads of people, you know, A-Side who, you know, is doing oh, stuff with, with, with the off-white guys and like, you know, all these people just came together and we kind of had this thing, you know, that we did. But the depression is still lingering away in the back and then I start getting panic attacks when I'm DJing. So do you feel like you've stepped, it's like stepping down. You're like, I'm still going to be in the culture, but I've yeah. been all the way up here. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on it now, I know you don't see it that way. Yeah. But at the time, you're like, I've been up here. Yeah. Now I'm just holding on. Yeah, I f- yeah. I felt a bit like I was kind of like on a bobsleigh. Yeah. Going really, really fast mm. and just trying to hold on because I'm trying to find my voice still, you know, and... 
anxiety kicked in. Like, anxiety came hard. So creeped up through the depression. Dude, like, I was at the Big Chill mm. Festival. And my kids, other kids, no, I kids. Well, are, yeah, 03, 04. Yeah, 03, 04. Um, my kids are there. It's like one of the first times I've seen a dad DJ. It's a big thing. The kids mm. are going to come out. And my son tipped my record box over like about five minutes before my set. It came on after Flying Lotus as well. Mm. There's like 5,000 people in this tent and like he's absolutely mullered the rave. Mm. You know, like he's smashed it. And I come on and then, you know, my records tip over and then, I just remember looking out in the crowd and this girl looked at me with this look of like, I've had a really bad week and you're responsible for my happiness for the next two hours. So you better be good. And you know, sometimes like, it's like you can do something every day and it's yeah. like, you know, like for me, DJing at whatever level and I've played at some massive stages. It's just like being in my bedroom. It's just like, like, this is phone. It's nothing. It's easy. But suddenly I was like, wow, I guess I am responsible for your happiness. Because again, I think it's like the music industry is changing. So now you're not a bad boy DJ just because you've got records that no one else has got because CDs are here. Mm. So everyone's got, you know what I mean? Like music's a bit more available to people. You know, programs are being made about dance music. Everyone's now got no, an opinion yeah, on no, culture. Yeah. So that happens and it's kind of a bit disastrous and I'm kind of literally like hiding underneath the table. Like It feels completely different to any other time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go to the... Um, same thing happens again. I'm at Cargo DJing again. Another panic attack, you know, and I just suddenly am like, you know what, I can't really do this right now. I need to find something else or I need to take some time out. And that's how the running and stuff came. So... <laughs> Big jump. How, like... I mean, yeah, those effects. Did you did you think it was a panic attack or did you think you were ill? I knew... I, I, <clears throat> I, I knew... The feeling was not recognisable because you hadn't exactly had it, but you knew... Yeah. I knew something was up. Yeah. And I was getting worried because also at that time, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly people from the culture are passing away. Yeah. People you know. You know, it's the beginnings of... Yeah everything catching up with people. So either people have really been heavy into drugs during the rave scene, you know, they're passing away. People are getting health issues. It's like a couple of people close to me, you know, had died. And suddenly I was like, dude, like, no, I really need to go and get some help. But more importantly, I need to share this with other people because I'm sure there's other people like me. It can't just be me, no. you know, because prior to that time, you'd know, you'd have your mate in the hood who basically went a bit do lally and then you'd be like, oh man, have you seen Nigel? Yeah, Nigel's just walking around like yeah. with no shoes on. Yeah. And, and that, was as, that was as much about mental health Anything as Anything else that went on yeah. inside. Psh, yeah, yeah, you didn't really care about it. And you didn't say anything. Yeah, you didn't say anything. You thought that. Psh. Yeah, you know. And so um, that was a really hard period of time. Early 2000s, like that period. We've been doing the Blatronic and stuff. And then and started running. And were you put on to running? Were you told... You've got depression. No, like you could help or what? Why? Why? Running? Like I'm, pr I'm pretty open with you know my mental health nice. issues. So I was on prescribed. I was on prescription drugs. Yeah. Did the doctors prescribe? Yeah. So I've been prescribed, and I just had a problem because again, weird cultural thing. Back in the day, yeah, the black kids that I knew, they smoked weed. They didn't do e. Yeah. Because e, and they they definitely weren't doing coke. No. Because it was like, that was kind of like a thing of like, hold on a minute. You know, one, one I got to bend my, my nose down to the table. 
or the other one, I've got to put something in my body, a pill, and wait for something to happen. No, no, no. So when I got prescribed, like, you know, with my drugs to help me with my depression. Centipillin or something? I can't even remember what it was. Okay. But to me, that was just like taking a knee. Mm. It was kind of a bit like, I was really uncomfortable with it because it was like, okay, so I got to wake up in the morning, I've got to take this thing and i got to wait to be happy. And I want a bit more control than that. So that's why I started running because I was just like, well, maybe if I do this other thing, that will kind of allow me to come off the medication, you know? And so when I started running, so, and I ran a lot of school when I was at school I was in the athletics team so and it so, wasn't anything new no, no you knew you I, could do it I played football and I ran when I was at school Good. you know and so when I came back to it I thought I was going to be just as fit as I was when I was 15 mm. and I wasn't at all because mm. I hadn't done the exercise for like 20 years yeah the music industry just got me yeah 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 so um, I started running that's why I started running at night because I was so embarrassed about seeing it yeah, yeah. yeah and I was teaching as well I was teaching I've always done spoken word okay I've got a long spoken word background right and that's um, just that like come along with, at the same time as everything else yeah yeah so when basically what happened when I was about 14 I was having a really hard time at school and I had a teacher and he was just like look English teacher and he, he said look I'm going to give you two things a best friend and a weapon and I literally thought he was going to give me a best literally, friend and a weapon and yeah. he gave me a notebook which is my best friend yeah. and the weapon was a pen and he was like just start documenting how you're feeling about school what a don yeah, the highs and the lows. Like, just start writing it down. No one needs to see it. No. But, like, you know, you're really desperate to find your voice. So this is the book where you can basically be as loud or as quiet as you want to be. So I started writing poetry. And then, so when in the late 80s, when, you know, the hip-hop thing's taking off, I wanted to be part of the culture. But my mum wasn't letting me paint trains. Like, that wasn't happening. Graphing, that's not really going to be encouraged. The dancing thing, like, you know... To what end? Well, at that point, you know, you got, you, you've grown up with people like Live to Break and, you know, all these like breakers who are like breakers, mm. you know. So that's not really going to work. The DJ thing is cool, but it's hard to become a big hip hop DJ because really the only person at that time is yeah. Westwood yeah. or 279 or, you know, Pogo and Business. They've got it on lock. Yeah. So I started writing poetry because I was like, well, at least it's a chance to get on the stage and be heard. And so you do this separately to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the time I'm working at The Words, when I'm doing the, the hairdressing stuff, I set this um, poetry collective up called UPS. Sick. Urban Poet Society. And there was a girl in the very first jam that we did. So basically we went to um, a couple of poetry venues and we were like, look, there's this little spoken word, spoken word scene bubbling up in London. Can we get on the bill? And they were like, no, you can't. We don't want no hip-hop kids up in here basically not doing some Shakespeare stuff, come out to dance. And at that point, I was like, you know, super rebellious and like, if you slighted me, yeah. I'd come back to crush you. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to start a jam that's going to crush your jam. Yeah. So we um, we found this art gallery in Brixton, um, Brixton, yeah, the Brixton Art Gallery, 198 Gallery, Yeah, I think it's called, opposite the Brixton Rec. Okay. And then we realised that, you know, people like Skinny Man, Mud Family, and like all these other people, like, you know, Ty. All, yeah, yeah. Like, all these other people, like, they're into hip-hop, mm. but they're also into culture. Mm. And we were like, well, can we just have a jam where if you can't get on anywhere else, whether you're a poet, a hip-hop, you know, MC, singer, whatever, we're just going to provide a space for you to come. My mum did the food. Sick. It was free to get in or, you know, don't, donation. Yeah, yeah. Earn Poet Society, we did that. 
did a couple of records under that name yeah. as well. Yeah. Wicked. You know, did some tours. Shorty Blitz was our DJ. Yeah. Yeah, Shorty Blitz was our DJ back in the day. Who, Incidentally, the first time I met him, I met him climbing over the barriers at, outside Vauxhall Station on his way to Westwood. <laughs> and I thought he was from New York for at least a year. Because yeah. he had a Nottingham accent. Yeah. And so I was like, different, really it? strong. Yeah. And I'd never met anyone from Nottingham before. Yeah. I was just like, man, this guy. And a little high top. And he's like stonewashy kind of jeans. And like, um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. So basically, like I did the, the, the poetry stuff. Dope. So that's how I met. I met like Talib Kuli and Saul Williams. Wow. And like just being in New York, just like, because remember I said I was like religiously going. Yeah, yeah. And being there and like, you know, see most deaf and so these you guys. flex that muscle as well. It wasn't just, yeah. I'm going to pick some records, I'm yeah. going to see the spots. I was like, if you want to be part of this culture, what I've learned is you have to immerse yourself in deep. Yeah. So one of the deepest things about the New York trip where I, you know, like, where I, the, the epic New York trip where I saved the money as and working in a school dinner's kitchen mm. is I ended up at this fashion party in downtown Soho. Mm. And I'm like, and it was like, when those parties where everyone there looks really beautiful, but the vibe is kind of a bit dead. Right. You know, and it's in this loft and it's all really cool. And actually, you know, I think um, Rodney P's brother was there. Yeah. Yeah, because Rodney P's brother used to go out with this German chick or something. Anyway, he was in New York. So that was the kind of connection. That was my connection in like, Rodney P's hooked me up, his brother is there. I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing all these like Puerto Rican kids going in and out of this doorway. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute, like, you know, what's going on down there? That looks really interesting. Yeah. Like, no, there ain't no other Puerto Rican kids or black kids on, on this street. street. Yeah. Go down the stairs and, um, you know, and I start getting up talking to one of these kids. And he's like, oh, you're from England? I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, man's from England. And they're like, oh, they're like, cool, come in. You know, because at that point... Yeah. That hip hop culture, particularly when you went internationally with it, if like you could, it was your your access all areas pass, especially abroad because like, yeah, you've travelled, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. definitely real there, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, wasting your time, yeah. Like, yeah, and they're bugging out. It's like you know they met a black English guy, yeah, and they're like, exactly. oh my god, it's Jazzy B's here, yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> so crazy. I go in the place, man, and I remember always remember this. It's a long warehouse, and as we're walking in, like there's a guy sitting on the sofa, yeah, and as I walk past him, I'm like, oh my god, that's Lee. It's Lee one six seven, just sitting on the sofa, and it was. And then <laughs> craziest thing. And then round the corner, Henry Chalfont just walks out. Oh my god! And I'm like, hold on a minute. And I realise that I basically I found Henry Chalfont's studio by accident. Oh my god! And do you remember um, Videograph Productions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So basically, the guy who's running Videograph Productions, like one of the first guys to really document Graph on VHS, has his studio in there. James Top as well was part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I meet. So that's how I met Henry wow, and man. Lee. Lee gave me a can. Like he signed the can for me. There you go. Yeah, you got Lee tag there. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he signs the tag for me. Tags a map for me. I have that. And again, wow. you know, it was that thing of like. I want to go meet these people in their own environment and really learn from these people. You know what I mean? And so that all crazy stuff. And then obviously when we were doing the Moac stuff, Futura is basically yeah, of course. part of the jet, the crew. Doing loads of design, all that shit. Man's just coming in, putting up like the amount of canvases that he did in that period of time. And 
it's so weird now because I go to people's houses and they've got like big giant Futura canvases, you know, and you're like, but back then he was just like, it was literally just like, he needs to make some money and this record company's got some throwaway money and he's just in London basically we'll paying it. I walked down Oxford Street with him and obviously I knew who he was, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I didn't know like the standing that he had amongst graph people. And I remember like, you know, we're walking down Oxford Street together and then I suddenly I hear this like, <laughs> chasing in these heavy footsteps and I'm like pulling him aside like oh man someone's about to roll up on us Futura yeah. like and it's these kids and they've like they spotted him and they're like losing their minds Futura on, in the West End yeah and I'm like looking at him like oh man like you must be like quite a big deal still <laughs> like to me because like oh, to us he was just like the yeah. guy yeah. he was the graph guy he was like you know wasn't really doing that much and it was just like painting a bit of stuff and then suddenly it explodes and he has his like second wind and it's stash and then, then you're yes. meeting him and Carlos Mayer and like all those guys again, you know, and it's kind of, yeah, and the right, weird thing right. is, you know, when I finally get into the running thing is like, again, full circle. Cause the guy who's like the founder of the urban running scene, Mike says, ex-graph guy, used to look after Futura, Whoa. knows Carlos Mayer. Like I've had the maddest times in New York, like getting ready to go on training, like marathon training runs, but first having to stop off and see Futura and have Futura time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is it right? Anyway, so um, we're going for the depression. We're taking the tablets. We start running. And then a few of my friends are like, right, what are you doing? Because your body's just changed shape. Because I was like freestone heavier then, you know, and you're smiling again and you're a bit more vibrant and like, what are you doing? There's a glow. Yeah, there's a glow. And I'm like, man, I just started running. And my friend's like, can we come with you? And I'm like, yeah, wicked, great, brilliant. So we start running one mile every Friday night. We'd run a mile and then we'd go and DJ. And we'd put it on Facebook. And that's how the form, the, the birth of Rundum Crew came about. How did, where were you DJing? So at that point I was just like, I was doing a lot of um, kind of museum parties. Okay, yeah. You know, because I got into that scene through doing Blacktronica. So basically I was doing like Victorian Albert Museum. Like nice. these big kind of... yeah you know, event parties where they're paying you that, you know, because I met this kid who was like, he only DJed four times a year, but each time he did it, he was getting 20 grand. Oh shit. And he was only doing fashion parties. And I was just like, hold on a minute, like, there's yet another scene that I don't even know about, you know, so I started getting into the whole, doing the fashion parties and kind of that whole. And so then having a, a good healthy run once a week with your boys. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then we were like, you know, obviously what happens is when you come into anything, there's resistance. And I had my, I still had my B-boy head or just like, oh, hold on a minute. You're telling me I can't be part of this? Let's go. Watch and see what I'm going to do to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how the take, run them cave crew was just like, I was just like, look, it's going to get to the point where we're going to start placing races and I want people to be seeing the anomaly name. So it's going to be like, you know, East London Harriers, yeah. you know, Serpentine, run them crew. Different. Yeah. And so we came in and we were like, you know, Graph, we got like, you know, we were like, we attacked it like we were graph, graph guys going on a mission. So did you, how long after, so you, when you formed your, when your mates joined you, and yeah. it's really on a fitness thing and they were yeah. impressed about how you changed and they joined yeah. you, what made you think we're going to keep doing this and then we're going to join this running association that London seems to have? So basically what happened was, is I was teaching poetry and creative writing in schools at mm-hmm. the time. And a couple of kids who'd been in a project with me who had done really well. As soon as the project ended, 
they basically got into some serious trouble. Um, like serious trouble. One of them went inside for a while. Right. And you're like, when you were on the pro- the poetry project, you were cool. Mm. Like everything was good. You were getting good grades. Everything was cool. And I realized like, you know, all these projects, the thing they had in common was lack of money. So they'd be one week, two weeks, three weeks, yeah. four weeks. Yeah. And you know, because you've worked with young people, yeah. it's like, it's kind of dangerous to go into someone, to a young person who's got like hood, hood mentality, suddenly start opening them up into all these other things and then leaving them to it. Well, be- but the point is that they don't get left to it. They just yeah. turn away. Yeah, exactly. Because, because yeah. It, it, it's longer than two weeks. Yeah. You kind of create a bit more of a problem than what was there in the first place. You'd hope that you know at least one or two of them is gonna something sparked and another yeah. week's gonna happen. But let's be honest, man, the funding's not there to let it properly. Yeah, exactly. And for it to really have an effect. So I'm like, right, I need to basically work on some youth projects that are so well funded, the kids stay in the project until they're tired of working with us. Boom. And at that point, it's four years before the Olympics. And I'm like, sports companies, they're all scrambling because they're all panicking. You know, for, prior to the Olympics, they're all panicking like, the Olympics are coming, we need to be doing something, what are we going to do? Mm. How are we going to engage with young people? And all the brand, like, it's funny now because it's very common for brands to do stuff with young people. Yeah, yeah. 12 years ago, wasn't it wasn't that? common at all. No, 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 no. Really wasn't common. So I had this relationship with a load of schools in London. I knew, like, you know, I was in, because I was the guy who's like, he wears Jordans, he wears a baseball cap, he knows who Puff Daddy is. Yeah. He's into culture. He these kids can relate to him. Yeah. They'll listen. They'll listen. Yeah. So let's I was get doing him some money, let's get him in. So I was doing some great work. You know, and I also, because I was living in East London, when Grime exploded, I was yeah. there. So I was like, this is really interesting. And like the you know, the traditional literature world is ignoring the fact that if you want to know where the English language is alive and well, it's alive and well in the mouths of these grime artists because mm-hmm. And more importantly, their younger brothers and sisters who were there listening to their older brothers emceeing. So when I come in and I'm like, well, look, poetry, grime, hip hop is kind of the same. There's a link. They were snapping it up. Like, what? Do you mean I can say Wagwan in my poem? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Mm. You can express yourself as as however you want. Once you get comfortable with expressing yourself, then we can start talking about Shakespeare and Wordsworth and so on and so forth. It's nuts, isn't it? Because I tell you what, if you have if you have the chance and like like we both have had, we had the chance to nurture our cultures mm. and look into and find these. Yeah, things. yeah. And then when you get into the position that we've both been in as well, this teaching thing, you know how it's like that seed, man. I, it just needs to stay with you longer. It just needs to stay, because yes, you can. It yeah, can yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, it can yeah. be different. Yeah. Everything you do can yeah. all be the same. Yeah. In a completely different route. Exactly. And it because it takes time for that to happen. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It, when you do get that one-on-one, whatever it is, 12, and one, 12 kids and one teacher telling you something, the longer that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I just realised that, like, you know, I could still be involved in culture, but in a different level. Because cause as you know, because you, st- you work with corporates. Yeah. So you know, it's like, you can go and do a commission on the wall. You can go and do some illegal stuff. You can do some stuff for a brand, you know, and get paid good money. But then there's the job that you get where you're like getting the silly money mm. for the job, where you're like, I can't even believe that these people are paying me this much, yeah. you know, or giving me this opportunity. Wow. And then you're talking to your mates and they've got absolutely no idea. And it, it, well, it's also hard sometimes 
to yeah it's just hard to understand like, yeah what, what, where how did you what yeah 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 yeah, what? yeah 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 even my mum yeah like, <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah so yeah she's still thinking about yeah. the cans and yeah. hip-hop in the bedroom yeah yeah you know like, you it's so like, far beyond that yeah, yeah. just like you know so so basically um i you know i ended up having this meeting with the people who were like doing the olympic building the olympic park they were going to put these permanent poetry um statues in there mm-hmm. and i was up for one of the commissions which I ended up not getting, but you know they're saying to me, well, when the Olympics come and go, the whole of the community of London is going to be in the park using the facilities. And I'm like, no, they're not, no, because they're not. we don't have an exercise culture, yeah. you know, in the UK. Like, you don't see people out. Like when I was a kid, the only people who really went to the gym were bad men. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. bodybuilders and bad men. Bodybuilders and bad men went to the gym. Yeah. Like everyone else wasn't there. No. And so, you know, I was like, right, okay, well, I live in East London. I'd moved to Stratford, you know, and I was like, well, if I don't do something, I'm just going to be living in this area that's basically going to have all these empty, expensive facilities. So what can I do? What can little me do to try and, you know, bring some people together to at least start building the foundations of a fitness community so that when the Olympics come and go, people are going to be using facilities. And it just so happened that at that point, I had a, you know, I'd always, I'd already had a relationship with Nike because basically I was a musician. Yeah. So I was getting the odd pairs of trainers. Like, yeah. you know, everyone's got a boy who's there and like, but I had a, like a friend, my mate A-side who was like, you know, he got like a, a job for the influencers kind of, when they were just, you know, when the brands were like suddenly just getting yeah. that influencer thing going like 2006, 2007. Mm. So he brings me in and I'm like, look, I know loads of people in the community like I'm hooked up and they had the space 1948 the space that Nike have got in Shoreditch you know the kind of concept space and so I was like look you know I'm doing this crew thing and all I need is a space because one of my things was I taught this group of kids who who lived in Lewisham and never been to Oxford Street you know the first time you hear about postcodes and all that stuff you're like yeah but is it real but when you're working with those kids who literally are like, oh, right, so you're from, you know, you're from Camberwell. You ever been to Peckham? No. You're like, what do you mean? Like, no, man can't go there, bruv. Like, it's really weird because we've come from that culture where it's like, yes, you're from South London, but if the jam was in East, you're going. You're going. Yeah, and you understand you've got to stand up, back straight, shoulders out, all of that. Of Thank you. You mean? You can go. Yeah, we're like warriors. We were going yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Whereas, so when I started meeting kids, they were like, what do you mean you've never been to Oxford Street? What are you talking about? So I was like, with Nike, I was like, look, we need a space that basically is neutral territory where basically these kids that I'm working with will come and be cool. And Shoreditch, you know, again, it was not like Shoreditch now where it's kind no, of like, no, you know, that Shoreditch then was very different. And so... Um, do you know Tan then? Yeah, of course I know Tan, yeah. Yeah, no Tan. Happy birthday, Tan, by the way. Birthday. Is it birthday today? Happy birthday, Tan. Um, yeah, so all those guys, you know, because like guys like Tan, like people from the culture were yeah. getting jobs in the... Um, in these places. In these places. And I had a relationship with Shoreditch anyway because I moved to Old Street in 85. Right. N- um, 95. 95. At a warehouse, 2,000 square foot warehouse, paying 200 pound a week. Shit. Complaining. <laughs> I was paying £200 a month, not even a week. <laughs> complaining. I was complaining. We arrived, when we arrived, we found it in loot. Yeah. And when we arrived, it was this like old Jewish guy and it, he just had a tape measure. It used to be an old garment factory. Yeah, yeah. He's just like, he just, he just gets the tape measure out and he's look, it's X amount, you know, of pence yeah. per foot. Yeah. How much do you want? 
I was like, man, I just, I was like, I just need a space that's big enough for me to ride my bike and that my friends can play football in. He's like, wicked, great, brilliant. I was like, how much is it? £200. I'm still getting, still signing on. So basically it was like, anyway, that's another story. Love you. Um, so we started a Nike relationship and then, you know, Random Crew blew up. And because, again, one of my things is, a, is a, someone who's into hip hop and if you're truly into hip hop, you've got to be open-minded because it's a culture that came from let me take a bit from here and a bit from there and a bit from here and mix them in to make my own thing this is why a culture with no rules shouldn't have rules and we get rules placed on us yeah. you've got to stop that and like, you know and I'm from London and I always say that the reason why I love London is because London at one point was a cultural melting pot yeah. where it's like I'm going to take a bit of ragga culture I'm yeah. going to take a bit of like you know wide boy culture yeah. take a bit of the posh girls culture we're going to mix it up mm. and then we're going to bring this new thing so you know, running blows up and then Instagram comes. No, Twitter came and I was yeah. just on it. I was like, this is brilliant. Hold on a minute. I can just sit at home and write this stuff and connect with people. Straight away. And most importantly, what people can realise is just because I run doesn't mean I'm boring. Because mm. I can talk about what I'm running, what I'm wearing, where I'm eating, where I'm raving. Yeah. Suddenly it was like this hub it's where you could... It's a social thing. And we it's not s- just... Yeah. yeah, we go in and we hammer it and it blows up. And we, um, the youngest project blows up. Like, load of the kids that come on who came for our youngest projects have gone on to like bigger and greater stuff. So, I don't know, like Troy, magician's got his own like E4 yep. show. He's a kid that we found in Lewisham High Street just doing magic outside McDonald's when he's 15. Done. Another kid writes for EastEnders now. We've got kids who are like music companies. Like, we just basically did a youth project how we would have liked it to have been done when we were Teach kids. aspiration. Yeah. And, um, and then Nike Fin Blues blows up and then we connect with, you know, this guy in New York, Mike Says, who, you know, he had a hip-hop museum in New York. <laughs> I've heard of it, yeah. I you know, and, and um, I basically, um, you know, I send him a couple of emails and he just blanks me off in a very hip-hop kind of way. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, you're doing that New York thing to me then. All right, I'm like, all right. Yeah, cool that's fine let me show you and then we eventually kind of you know we get in we get in contact with each other and then it turns out that basically their fastest runner is this guy called Knox Robinson who's like the editor of Fader magazine who I know for music I'm like hold on a minute I know you for music yeah. can't be the same guy he plays top 100 in New York Marathon so suddenly and then I start talking to Mike and he's like yeah you know me and Futura and I'm like hold on a minute you know yeah. Futura that's, he's like, he's like yeah and then he's like I'm like he's that it's graph guy and he was like the first guy who kind of started this thing of running at night, running with a crew. Um, he was running with like Aaron. So he was doing this out there. Yeah, he's doing yeah. it out in New York yeah. um, with all like the kids from Supreme and yeah. kind of like you know. So, so there was just this synergy where it was like, you've been doing all this stuff in New York. I've been doing all this stuff in London. And then we meet Edson from Pata. Yeah. You know, and it's like he's doing it in Amsterdam. And then we meet Jay, this kid from Paris, who's doing stuff with this. Um, agency called Black Rainbow they had Paris Run Club and then we meet these kids from Berlin and then suddenly we're like there's this whole group of people who've been doing similar stuff and they've all come from hip hop culture fucking hell and they're all connected I don't know any of that and know people do you know what I mean and it's like you know it's weird because we're sitting there being like you know at this point we're giving away Supreme and Bathing Ape because mm. we've got you know we've accumulated so much of it mm. and we don't think it's hype mm. You know, and we're giving it away because we've grown up, you know, like, yeah. 
me go sending us tracks. Sh- yeah. There's all this stuff, you know, it's weird because aside from the music stuff, there's the whole fashion side of things where you're kind of like, you're seeing the embers of like street culture. Start of it all. I worked in um, Bond. Right, yeah. Bond International. With Charlie Shazer. Mate, that was the spot. Did Charlie work there? Yeah, Charlie Shazer was there for a while. Um, yeah, Charlie Shazer definitely worked in Bond. Yeah. Um, I love that shot. Yeah, I love Bond. As a teenager. Yeah, that was shot. I nearly got Nick bombing that bench. Undercover, and I was yeah. like, you, undercover tried to arrest me for tagging the bench. I'm yeah. like, are you kidding? Look yeah, at the yeah, fucking the bench. bench. Yeah, Can exactly. You just move, please. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, that's what I thought in my head. So, um, yeah, we basically, um, we start the Nike relationship and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, bigger and, and, then, and then it just blows up into this international movement. You and know? then are you, the team's bigger than you then? It's you yeah. and your guys yeah. that all kind of... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we're getting, at this point, we're getting like, you know, a small front run, run is like 150 people coming out per run. We've done it every Tuesday for the last 12 years. It, oh my God. You know, at one point we had like 250 people per run. It, like, it really blew up because I think, you know, because what we did, which was really clever, is we incubated the idea for as long as possible. Do you know what, bro? I'll tell you what, I'm just remembering now. I saw you all one night yeah. in East End. Yeah, yeah. And I literally... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm getting nearly getting yeah. goosebumps from it. The feeling I got yeah. from this this herd, yeah, and it, but it was just this this super. Like, it was a load of people running yeah. at night. You're meant. I'm meant to run. Yeah, 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 yeah. This positive flow, like this energy <laughs> yeah. and this like you know health and determination. Yeah, and, like, I remember so clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kept this. I was just. I think yeah. I even said it. Run them, crew. Yeah, 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 yeah. People often shout out to us when they see us. It was so powerful. Yeah, we like. We just came in like because we t- we arrived in the running world. We just, I remember we went to our first race and it's like I roll up. I got Air Force Ones on, basketball shorts. Everyone's like, like you know, everyone's laughing at me. I'm like, what are you laughing? Like, like I'm laughing at you. Like, yeah. look at the clothes you're wearing. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean, we just brought culture in. <laughs> yeah, we're stunting on you. <laughs> We're stunting. You know what I mean? We like we did this whole thing like in the early days where we did this sticker, little running man sticker, and we were like, you can yeah. only put it up if you've gone there by foot, because that's what graph guys do. We yes, wanted like exactly. all city. Yes, that's how we're going. Keeping so that let's, mentality. Yeah, like keeping that mentality through and through because I had su- you know, I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in that late '80s, early '90s period where all these other people are coming up, snatch like you know oh. all those guys, Sophie like. Those are the people we all went to the same clubs together. So those are the people that we're rolling with, you know. And so we're going to Unity Jams, we're doing all that stuff. So when I had my moment, I'm like, my thing is going to be based on the foundations of the cultures that I love. We're going to take the best bits of it, you know, and we're going to bring it into this world and we're going to remix it. And the reason why we're going to remix it is because we work with young people. So we know how important it is for young people to... One, be treated respectively by sports companies and brands because a lot of times brands just rinse out the culture. Secondly, for young people to know their worth. Do you know what I mean? Because that conversation that you think is just informal, mm. actually, there's a lot of insight that they're getting Lots. from that. You know, we're Same gonna... way you did washing that hair. Just yeah. those two sentences. Yeah, exactly. It shows how important that is. Yeah, so... We were just like, basically, like, we're coming into this world, we're coming in on force, there's loads of us, we're all over the world, we're going to call it Bridge the Gap, and we're just about to mash it up. Because basically, my thing is, people need this. Because you cannot rave the amount of hours that we've raved, cram the amount of information that we've crammed into our heads over the years. Because, you know, the thing about the culture is, you know, 
hip hop culture is difficult to absorb because there's a lot of things that you have to so many avenues Maybe. so you know we're realising the mental health thing is becoming a problem and we were just like look we're coming in because we want to create this positive environment for the next generation of people who are coming up because they need this let's give them some solid inspiration yeah do you mean so trying to create a space where because I because one thing I say now is like you know where can you go now and sit in a room with people who are different from you because the clubs don't exist so you no. can't go you know generally when you go to the club now it's everyone who's in there is deeply into it yeah, well it's a curated club it's yeah. not it's not a club you know and as I said my biggest and best nights have been when I've been in places where I've been like with people who were very different from me. Three or four rooms playing yeah, different music. Yeah, different music and different experiences. And like, because mm. you know what it's like, you know, even what's funny about the graph world is like, you look at the graph world and like, some of them kids who are deep in the graph world, their parents have got mega money. Oh, seriously, man. This culture, the graph culture, yeah. it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you're from, got yeah. Balls? Yeah. Cool, show them. There you go. Let's go. And I love that. Yeah. And I mean, when I, I come out of an estate in Kilburn, yeah. like, I my first writers were from estates. Mm. And then I started meeting other people. And like, mm. Firstly, I was just like, how can you? No, yeah. you coming <laughs> yeah. from where? No, yeah, mate. Yeah. No, mate. Yeah. I'm going to try and dip your pocket because yeah. this... And then you realise, you're like, actually, none of that matters here. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. These people are killing it. They're killing it. And they're they're doing got... better than me. All oh, right, cool. So that's zero. Yeah, that whole yeah, element yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, I can yeah. move all that to one yeah. side. And more importantly, when you hang out with them, they're cool. And what I tell you what, even more importantly, you learn. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in middle class and upper class kids' houses as yeah. a teenager, as a graffiti writer, with them as their, and their writers and their mums and dads saying shit to me, like you had with yeah. which was just like, oh my God, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 no yeah. yeah. had the time to say that to me yeah, or exactly. explain it in that sense. Yeah. And it is learning, man. Yeah, when you meet them kind of like kids who've got like the hippie parent who's just a bit oh, more... Is that as well? But who who do the reasoning session on yeah, you. Yeah, my mate Adam and his yeah. dad. Yeah. To this day, yeah. same thing. Yeah. And I think it's really, really, really important. Uh, the, the fact it can give you so many avenues to look down and yeah. so many people yeah. to meet. Our culture yeah. is deep, man. Our yeah. culture is the best. Yeah, definitely. The best. Because also what was interesting about those times is you meet people whose parents were like, despite the fact that you're involved in like an illegal activity, they're actually like really encouraging you to use it in a positive way and see it. where it yeah, can yeah, take yeah. you. And, but, enough, but I think that's the same for hip-hop in general. Yeah. It was, you know, for the people that were, were listening to hip-hop in their rooms, it was just like, okay, but what can you do with it? Yeah. You're gonna, yeah. Oh, Dex, can I help you with Dex? Let yeah. me help you. you, need, or you and whatever it was, it was just like, let's better it, let's better it. Yeah. So, um, so we started a you know, super long relationship with Nike and we did that and it was all wonderful, you know, and it's basically that opened up a load of you know, millions of more new doors and more new experiences. And that's kind of how I got into the brand consultancy, you know. Because you were just... Yeah, because suddenly it's kind of like you realise like that the information that's inside your head is valuable. Yeah. You know, and the experiences that you've had are valuable. And you thought, you may have thought it was only relevant to you or yeah. it or yeah. whatever. And yeah. you're like, oh, hang on, I'm getting drawn on this information in certain meetings. Yeah. Maybe you, there's... Yeah, and I suddenly like, you know, and then that's kind of, that was like another avenue of stuff and it suddenly allowed me to kind of consolidate all this information that I'd learned over the years and experiences that I've had and to kind of have a living but more importantly to be in control so you know despite the fact when I was in the music and you know heavily in the music industry we weren't in control we were making lots of big money but we weren't in control mm. and we weren't you know we weren't the storytellers we were just making the product 
but we weren't framing how that product, product yeah. was sold, how it looked, what the album now. We had no say in that. And so this was kind of a chance to basically just have more of a say. It's dope going through that though, man, because you wouldn't have known otherwise. I always think, you know, as I always say to people, is like, you have to fail. You've got to, man. You've Failure's got to fail. Yeah. Failure is better than succeeding sometimes. Yeah, definitely. You Especially have to. if you can keep the fuel and, you know, use it. Yeah. Let Be affected. Yeah. Be upset. Be pissed off. Get depressed. Yeah. But never fucking forget it's still possible yeah, to yeah. just go again. Yeah, you can always go again. And I've yeah. met mad people over the years who've like, you know. And also the thing is, you know, you meet people who kind of, they didn't really succeed till very late in life. Yeah. This is the thing though as well, and it's the level. It's depending on what we want to put success on because, like, we can be super rich with knowledge and like an understanding of ourselves and outlets which we found which are free mm. avenues. Like, if if we don't just sign up to what we're built to, what yeah. we're made to do at yeah. our school, if we don't just sign up for that and we take risks and we dream, basically, mm. you know, aspire, yeah. It could, everything you've done you've done so much shit done I wasn't so much ready stuff, for that yeah, risk, yeah. Right? but you know what it's the same formula each time yeah yeah the yeah the formula yeah. didn't change no definitely the experience did definitely the formula was the same my thing is always but, yeah, yeah it's always been you know just like I just you know just hearing Sucker MCs for the first time you know out of a car window had such an impact on me and you know learning about this culture and being accepted into the culture and realising that it was a culture and a culture has different more sides. Than a hobby, more yeah. Than a, more than just the sound. And so that's kind of, you know, people ask, it's funny, like I, was, I spend a lot of time kind of, you know, because I'm a brand consultant now as well as being a yoga teacher, but I spend a lot of time in brand meetings where they're like, how did you do Run Them? How did you do it? And I'm just like, it's so simple and easy because it's come from hip hop. It's just like, we were taught to do you just got to have elements yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. it's elements and touch points it's yeah. kind of like you know so um, so yeah so it's you know that's that and then became a yoga teacher this year qualified Boom. to be a yoga teacher and I and again I like last how did you do that so I started getting into, I got injured really badly injured running because I was like I got deep into the running right. like I was running like 50, 60, 70 miles a week Jesus. like deep into it like you know really pushing some like good times in my races and really kind of like trying to kind of like become like, you know, almost like a semi pro athlete. Yeah, I bet. Especially with those fucking miles. Then got injured. You know, and that's and, and it's it was the thing of well was basically like when Instagram kind of came in, then it became an international movement. And then the pressure ramps up because basically now you're like, oh my God. You know, I remember like, you know, be like Oh my god, the guys in Norway are running and it's like minus ten. Okay, we need to go out and do some miles. Like, do you know what I mean? And so it became very competitive amongst yeah. all these different crews the battle. around the world. It's the battling thing again. So I got really badly injured, and then um, you know, yoga is one of the things that was recommended to me as part of the rehabilitation. And I'd always kind of been a bit wary of yoga and the people who do it. And my missus kind of, you know, was deep into yoga. And she would just come back from yoga classes superly happy. To the point where I was like, is she having like an affair with one of the yoga dudes? Like, babe, like every time you come back, you'd like, you know, because she liked to go to like the six o'clock in the morning in like yeah. class. I'm like, babe, you're getting up really early to go to this yeah, thing. How and are you come doing in. this, man? So I started going a bit just to be like, I don't want to go see what's going yeah. down, you know. And then um, I met a guy who was a DJ who'd become a yoga teacher. And then I realized there were all these other DJs who'd be becoming yoga teachers. <laughs> 
do you mean? Like, I'm like, okay, hold on, what's going on there? connections in, possibilities already made. Yeah. And then I went to basically, last year I went to um, a yo- uh, retreat. Yeah. Got invited to go on a yoga treat with um, Lululemon. Mm. And um, who like one of the big yoga brands. Mm. We go there and it's kind of like, you know, it's some influencer thing and I really don't want to go because I hate being in like, you know, around that world because I find it a bit vacuous. But I go there and it's all people who are super cool and they're kind of like, you know, two guys who'd rode the, the Atlantic sitting in the pub one day were like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's row the Atlantic. They go and have a month of rowing lessons and then they go and row the Atlantic. Jesus. Day one, they capsize. The man's like 30 foot away from the boat. And the way he's telling it to me is just so normal. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, that's really cool. And it's meeting all these people who are doing really cool stuff. Yeah. But then I look around the room and I'm thinking, this is an amazing experience. I feel super chilled. The food is great. I'm really connecting with myself again. Energy. Energy's right. But the people who need it most are not here. Ding. And I'm like, you know what? Why aren't the people who need it most? Like, why are the kids that I work with not here? Because they wake up in the morning and their form of relaxation is have a spliff, get on the phone, look at Instagram and immediately we get angry because mm. someone else is doing better than them in their well, life. Perceived to be better. Yeah. yeah. And then they put the mask on when they come out of the house and then yeah. there's this arms house for the rest yeah. of the day. No reality. It's all fucking... Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? That's not cool. They need some yoga in their life. So I decided to just read to train to be a yoga teacher just as a challenge to see whether I could do it. And again, like the same... Because I knew that basically, you know, I can handle how my heart say that I've been part of a movement of people that have remixed running. You know, to where it's like I mean, quite normal to see people running around. Come on, man! You change, you change the fucking game. We change the game, Jimmy. Completely, three sixty that shit. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, and I was like, yoga needs it because at the moment it's kind of got this perception that it's only women, it's only a certain class of person, a certain color of person that does it. And that they think it's a certain way. And it's all about the poses. And it's so much more than that. Mm. And I just think, my thing is this, is like, I've grown up with all these amazing people who are doing amazing things, but we're all getting older now. And I'm like, I want you to keep doing amazing things. I want you to stay. So let me go and train to do this thing that I know for an hour. If you give me an hour of your time, I'm going to send you back relaxed, chilled, happy, happy, connected with your body, with your mind, with your breath ready to be great again because I realised that what you like you know when I see people painting walls I'm like that's some hard that's hard mm. like I don't know how you do it mm. like I, you know I've been on the graffiti workshop yeah, yeah, like I've seen it nah nah like it's the next level like you know what I mean and obviously I'm like you know I know people who are like you know what I mean you mentioned mm. their name people are like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I've tried to be a yoga teacher and it's been going amazingly Really amazing, and we're, you know, today we've got like an event on Battle of the Flows. It's me and my missus. You know, it's a yoga class, a part dance battle, battling it out. You know, we're doing it in a circle. It's kind of a like, you know, we're in different. We're still bringing the hip hop thing you're in, curating them as well. You're yeah, not just yeah. taking what you've learned and pushing it out. You're curating yeah. with those. Yeah, learnings. immediate like doing some things that's just changing some of the things around already. Where we're just like, if you just change that. Wait and you'll see what will happen. We're getting funky with it. Yeah. Yeah. So very simple style. things, yeah. you know what I mean? Just the way you talk about it and like Battle of the Flows. We just did it, you know what I mean? 60 well, tickets the same, sold same out. Same as Boom. one of them crew. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah, same thing again. Yeah. But my thing as well is like, you know, I like to run those people who will come in and do something and then be like, right, that's working. That's cool. That community has been established. Great. Let's go on and do something else. Let's go on to the next one now. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't want to be one of those people who's like, 
talking about back in the day, it was this and that, and it was so much better because, you know, I've got this thing about Miles Davis. Like every three years, Miles Davis would like sack his band and go and replace it with whoever was the new youngest, baddest players. And that's my thing with ideas now. It's kind of like, you do it. That's why it was really interesting listening to Sophie's podcast where she was like, she did the nail thing and thought, I've got to as far as I can go. Now it's time to basically take this energy into something else. Mm. And so, you know. It can't stop. Running community is cool. Let's go and do some, some yoga stuff. It's set. It's ready. It's done. Yeah. yeah it mindfulness. And, the, you know, and also because my thing is like a lot of, there's a lot of people who will come into that world. You know how people like to like be like, it's hip hop yoga. Or it's hip hop this, and it's hip hop that, and then you go and you're like, well, it's not very. There's not the only thing that's hip hop is your is the music. Yeah, but or the, you might have written your logo in a tag. Fuck off. Yeah, but the culture. Come on, man. Is not there, yeah. and more importantly, the people from the culture that you stole the idea from are not there. Yeah, they're not there. We don't know. So we I'm like, know. they need to be there, otherwise it's not. Well, because to be honest, what you're saying is, I mean, as I said about this formula, it's a feeling. Yeah. It isn't, it's not a fucking look. I yeah, mean, obviously, fashion, but in, yeah. in terms of, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, because we all, like, the mad kids back in the day, like, they weren't wearing show toes and kangles and all that, but they were more hip-hop than anyone. Yeah, and, like, yeah. do you remember Mohammed Fresh? I don't, know. He's, like, was like, he was, like, a record dealer. Okay. Big dude, like. But, I mean, the mad dudes who basically, like, you know, they weren't, like, super b-boyed out, but... Yeah. They could b-boy you out, out like <laughs> they could tell you the stuff, and so yeah, you know, I was like, I think it's kind of, you know, in conclusion, I think I've had a mad life, you know, loads of really amazing experiences. Um, to all the people who basically have been part of that, I'd just say thank you. You know, I sent Sophie a message yesterday. I was just like, thank you, because you know, it's awesome the thing, the stuff that you've done and the fact that you accepted me as a person and allowed me to kind of, you know, have these amazing experiences with you. And I'll never, ever forget kind of that crowd, Charlie Shazer, Tizer, kind of Comrade, Sophie, Theo. Like, I'm never going to forget those people because they're such a big part of me and who I am now because it was kind of like, they were like, if you got skills... Go. you can hang yeah you know what I mean I, I like the fact though as well that you're not it isn't about just then and it's about it's a it's a constant evolving story yeah this doesn't yeah this isn't even a sum up this is where, yeah. where we're at yeah yeah it's kind of like I just don't I just think that basically nostalgia is a really dangerous thing and it's trapped a lot of great minds yes, from our culture it has you know what I mean and it's mm. and it's trapped a lot of people in a point where they they like they fail to recognize the real that's around them mm. because they think it was more real mm. back then you know and there's some people doing some stuff now I'm like that is amazing like and actually my thing is like I'm proud to be one of those people that's you know been part of creating a space for those people to come in mm. and do what yes. they do because I always say to people it's like you know People always say this to me, like with like with the running thing. They're like, "Aren't you pissed off that blah 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 has taken your idea?" And I'm like, "No, because I'm a b boy, and our job is to inform culture, and inspire." Yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got ideas, you're always going to have ideas. So there's no point in being precious. Like, I want you to bite my thing. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Try and better me. Yeah, exactly. That's the battle. Yeah, better me. And as you know, as a man that works with brands and does all of that, you know that. 
the throw up on the wall that's done in five minutes is always going to have more power and burning and energy than the life. big corporate thing. Yeah. You and know, like I, so I live in off. East London now, so I'm like, you know, I, I see the big corporate walls going mm. up all the time. I'm like, yeah, they're great. They're cool. Look, it's great. But... Big up everyone making money out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Of course, of course. Definitely, You've got definitely. To get checks signed. I'm not yeah, saying definitely. that. Yeah, definitely. But definitely. I mean, we, we, this is just don't turn your back on the culture because you can never turn it back on the culture, keep man. Keep feeding it because yeah. it keeps growing. Yeah, and also mentor. Yes. One of the best things I do is I mentor young people. Yeah, and I'm like, I love it when I like, I love the fact that I can go and they'll be like, they're talking to me about ten artists I've never heard of. And I might hate nine of them, but one of them might be like, oh my God, that guy's all right, you know, because there are good people out there, Mm. you know, and, and also what we can't get into this thing of like thinking that everything back in the day was amazing because it wasn't, you know what I mean? And I'm sure people, you know, like we're sitting in the studio, there's loads of paint here. I'm sure if you had the choice between, you know, paint with the paint that's around now and painting some of of the nonsense that you had to do it back in the day, I I think, you, you know. I mean, look, it's, there's something there when people stick in that nostalgic area era and, and you know, find it hard to move on. There's there's other reasons why that yeah. sort of shit happens. Well, it's safe. It's, it is safe. And yeah. it, you know, it keeps it... It's, it the thing is, it's very dangerous, man. Um, yeah. Because you do get left behind and it quietens up. And I think... The it, it, reason I, see, I find it dangerous is that we've got such a loving and involving and inclusive culture... Mm. Mm. If you decide to be like that, that crowd gets smaller and smaller and smaller because the culture keeps growing and growing. Yeah, and growing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just basically kind of like shrinking into this yeah, little yeah. world, this little corner of it, of you and your mates, and yeah. missing out on these all these amazing, just a bit more eye opening, man. Amazing experience. See what though, I think you know the fact that you do all this stuff now, and you know having experienced things like working at D Mob and. You know, getting just fucking four or five words said to you, which are literally life changing. Yeah. Like, and that you do that now, twenty years later, twenty five years. Yeah, later, yeah, doing that now, yeah. Which I think it's fucking amazing, man. Well, and I did. Yeah. With just this culture in your hands, which isn't shouting hip hop in a hip hop tag and yeah, drips yeah, and yeah. hey, urban, no. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, culture, like this is adult culture. This is life culture. I just think that basically, people who are out there, you know, I have this thing with like kids on Instagram where. You put up a pair of trainers, and because it looks different from the reissue pair, mm. they're telling you you're fake. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I could sit there basically arguing with like a 15 year old in a bedroom in wherever they are in the world, or I could just be like, it's cool, man. You're like, you'll learn when you're ready to it's learn, fine, aren't you? Man, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's fine. I might it's give cool. you a bit of knowledge you don't need to believe. It's, it's fine. cool. I'll catch you in 20 years. Yeah. We'll have a laugh about that. I mean, I think it's just, you know, my the thing is, I think it's important with the culture thing is like, you know, if you have got culture inside you to pass it on. Yeah in the right way yeah and you know because I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing now if it wasn't I think Sophie actually gave me my first West End DJ gig actually sick yeah like if it wasn't for people basically who who brought me in mm. and gave me the words of wisdom and were like actually you know what the way you're going to navigate the situation is to do this have you heard that record mm. do you mean like do you know about that DJ do you mean this is like people have helped me so my thing is just basically like I'm just like trying to help as many people as I can whilst my foot is firmly in the door. Mm. Particularly when your foot is in different doors that people don't know about yet. Yeah. That's really important. And you've got to keep pulling that through. Well, I think what we, you know, what we are is we're translators. Yes. And essentially what we do is we translate culture into a language that's easy for people to understand. Mate, if it's, 
when you get into positions like that, when you chat to brands and you chat to companies that have got the money, because our culture doesn't have that much money. Yeah. Certain parts of it do, obviously. But, mm. but when, you, when you're in that door and you get to have that conversation and you get to... Look, base, uh, my thing is, fuck your logo. Yeah, We're yeah. We're going to make art win here and I promise you, you're going to win in, in because of that. Yeah, 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 definitely. If you can get that happening, you can get that company that are like, all right, I believe in you. And yeah. And bringing other things through, it, it changes everything, man. Yeah, 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 definitely. Keep teaching culture. Yeah, definitely. Listen, Charlie, Awesome. Man. Sorry, man, I've, I've, no, like, I've right, talked your tape out. That was absolutely amazing. <laughs> no worries, man. Really Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, man, you keep on doing the good work. I mean, it's Appreciate amazing. It. Hopefully, all of this has been archived together and is going to end up in the VNA. I'm keeping it so safe. Or in a you know permanent archive because it's it's a deep one and I'm there's keeping it so safe. So many people. You've spoken to so many people already, mm. and there's so many people out there who you haven't. You know what I mean? That you yet so to get older. The list's crazy. Who I've got lined up, man. And it, it, again, it's not about like, oh my god, it's that person. Yeah, yeah. It's not about yeah, yeah. brilliant. There's a load of heroes and heroines in our culture as well, yeah. but it's it's just about doers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. who partook, who have managed to, you know. Find something at a young age. Yeah. Use that tool. It yeah, doesn't yeah. have to be literal. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's lots, man. I appreciate your words. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Well, another one in the bag. <laughs> this is so dope. These stories about our city are so inspiring. And Charlie had a sack full. I love the connection in these stories, too. I checked with Charlie about that day with Futura in the West End. He may well have visited Deal Real, MK's record shop. And MK talks about that day on his chat on F24. Then there's the Sophie Nels crossover too, Charlie getting his first set from her. And then Sophie growing up with Theo Snatch. And all the while they're all probably shacking out to Richard Sen in the club. Same thing's happening now as well with all these young heads doing the do in the city. The crossovers are happening and more will come. Find culture, spread culture. Let people experience what you experienced in culture in their time. Charlie knows that. He got so much from his culture. It held him and helped him nourish his intelligence so he could push out creativity in an array of mediums and thoughts. Check out Rundem. It's a massive movement. Real dope chatting to Charlie. Part of the team. Another battle won. Art wins. Remember, love your city and love your culture. This is F24.